everybody, Michael Rooker here, and you are listening to Cut to the Chase. Keep listening. Hey guys, this is Christy Carlson Romano, and you're listening to Cut to the Chase. Hey, what's going on? This is Thomas Ian Nicholas. Uh, you horror fans out there might know me as Bill Woodlake from Halloween Resurrection. Uh, and you are listening to Cut to the Chase. So let's do it. Cut to the Chase, man. Hey, this is Mike and you're listening to Cut to the Chase. Greetings, gentle folk. This is James DeVille, and you're listening to Lacey Lou on Cut to the Chase. This is Richard Reilly, and I'm on Cut to the Chase. And if you don't jump to any conclusions, you will hear me with Dan and Lacey. You have a podcast, like I do, and uh, it's called Cut to the Chase. I like that. Cut to the Chase. All right, here we go. You're listening to Cut to the Chase. Let me do another one. You're listening to Cut to the Chase. How about... This is Michael Rosenbaum, and you're listening to Cut to the Chase. Um, I don't know if... Yeah, it's Dan and Lacey. You're listening to... This is Michael Rosenbaum. You're listening to Cut to the Chase with Dan Chase and Lacey Lou. How's that? Oh, and... Um, Mikey likes it. If you like horror... You'll want to cut to the chase. The podcast, that is. I know I want to cut to the chase as soon as possible. And what do you know? Here it comes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Cut to the Chase. We have an awesome interview for everybody lined up. Uh, Along with me is my beautiful co-host, Lacey Wu. What's up, baby? What do you mean? Of course. (laughs) Lacey Wu made me an incredible birthday message podcast today, which was beyond amazing. So thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And um, thank you for uh, lining up this interview because I honestly love this movie and I'm so glad we could get these two people to come on today, Lacey Wu. Me too. I'm really excited to dive in and figure some stuff out. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And with our first guest, of course, we're obviously talking about the movie uh m-o-m mom mothers of monsters yes and we have director tosia lyman with us how are you tosia hello hello i'm doing well are you staying warm at you you're in california right is it cold there or it's never really cold here when i say that i'm cold and, and my family from the east coast says oh how how what's what's the temperature i i always like pause because i'm like uh, 61 <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you grew up on the vineyard, so. Well, I ask because, you know, like, Texas is having, like, a national crisis, so yeah. I, I don't know what it's like over on that side of the world. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll say that we are we are not experiencing anything like Texas is experiencing right now, um, but we are, I will tell you that for some reason tonight, we're having an incredible windstorm, so if you hear some bangs, it's not, it's not me, like, cooking dinner, it's, it's, it's <laughs> It's the windows and doors banging open. The wind keeps pushing everything around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we also were lucky enough to get one of the lead stars of the film. He plays Jacob uh, Bailey Edwards. How are you, Bailey? Hi, I'm so happy to be with you guys. And yes, I'm also in the not cold, cold California. I was (laughs) earlier today, I was literally sitting on a beach, like being like, I'm freezing in the... (laughs) 
ocean breeze. So that's that's good for us. <laughs> you know, our version of winter. It felt like summer today. It was 37 degrees. Yeah. Oh, we were partying today. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. It, it's been like oh. negative 15, negative 20, like the past two weeks. So positive 37 is, uh, <laughs> it's like summer. <laughs> oh, my God. Bailey and I are both from the East Coast. So we know the, the weather there. And I have to say, uh, I mean, I know you guys are in Iowa, but Listen, that's why that's why I'm here. I can't speak for Bailey, but I'm in California because I could not deal with the wrath of the weather on right. the East Coast. Oh, it's so brutal. And and I when I first moved here, I talked so much shit to people. I'm like, hey, because I, I I would walk into work, you know, wearing shorts, and I'd be like, I'm from New England. Now in February, I just I don't say a damn word. I just walk into work and with, in my coat, and I just I just beeline it inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so cold. It is yeah, I, Iowa is no joke, no joke. <laughs> mm. oh, but, but at least you have electricity and water, right? Exactly. Yes. I hey. well, no, it was really cold in here though. Like we had to definitely turn up our thermostat way higher than what we normally. That would sucker be. was past ninety. Yeah. Yeah, and it was only like seventy degrees in here at yep. 90, 68, 70 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. It was yep. crazy. Yep. Storm <laughs> windows, double paint, double panel storm windows, you guys. <laughs> right. <I> know. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Now, uh, Tusia, you work in television. Um, how has COVID or you know um, the the windstorms or any other thing uh, affected uh, filming? Uh, of any uh, television shows and or projects? Man, uh, it's completely reinvented the way that we we all work. So so there's there's like three fingers to to making a show, three to three big departments. One is the the people who actually go out in the field and shoot it, right? So those are the people in the field. I'm not in the field, but and then you have the, the everyone who's in the office pre-planning everything and 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 pre-producing. Um, and then of course you have the whole post department. I've never, ever worked on a show where everybody is remote other than the field team. So it's tricky. I got to say it's tricky. In, in the beginning, it was, uh, we, you know, we thought it was it was the apocalypse um, <laughs> because right. we're all working from home, but we're not used to we're, we're used to working in this creative space. When you make uh, television or film, you're working in editing bays together. You're trying things out. If one thing doesn't work, you try something out. Well, now when I get cuts, uh, you know, edits. I can't, uh, if I make a note here or a note there, they have to make that note, then they have to re-export it, then they, I have to re-download it. It takes hours for, for one one fix, you know what I mean? So, you know, I think in terms of how I communicate with people, I, I've completely changed my approach on email and, of course, Zoom, because usually it's like, can I have this by this time? Or when is when are we getting this? Now it's like, hey, guys. If you don't mind, you know, you have to kind of change your language and make it cool because you don't have that opportunity that you usually have when you're in the office and you're passing somebody in the hallway and you're like, oh, my God, did you get a new shirt? Or holy cow, look at your hair. I love it. You know, you don't have that anymore. So you have to somehow incorporate that casualness and, and, and friendliness through right. email and Zoom, you know? So yeah, it's tough. It's tricky. And for you, Bailey, we talked a little bit off air of how the film was supposed to come out on March 13th, Friday 13th. And that was the... That's when all the shit hit the fan. Literally, yeah. <laughs> and um, how did that impact you knowing that like this is a really big role for you and, you know, it got kind of shut down? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it's, it's wild. I really didn't like reflect on that so much as it was happening because I think that we were all so still stuck in these like oh it's only 
two weeks or four more weeks mindset. And, you know, like we really thought like, oh, this will just be a delay. And then we'll, you know, like have our little theatrical run in a couple, you know, in a month or so when Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything goes away. And, you know, it's, it's been kind of a surreal year in that way. And I remember in like July, even there was like another project that I was supposed to like this indie film I was supposed to shoot in June that was sort of, I was waiting to go on set for and like realized that the month had come and gone. I was like, oh my God, this doesn't even exist anymore. So, you know, it, it definitely, you know, was a little bummer in its own right, but I've been really, you know, heartened and felt really proud of the way in which this film has been able to reach people over the internet and people are, you know, home and glad that they're not trapped at home with a Jacob as it were. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, but that being said, it's been an interesting year. I, you know, started writing stuff more on my own, produced and working on a web series. You know, these things you just sort of like figure out your way through to find new ways to be creative. Absolutely. And, you guys, and I, Dan, yeah. we, I got to tell you that, so we opened on Friday the 13th of March in 2020. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we, so that was Friday night, Saturday night. And then Sunday night, I was on my way to the, to the uh, theater in Hollywood. And on the news, on the radio, on the way there, I got, I, I listened to Eric Garcetti say on the news, uh, on the radio. So, uh, as of midnight tonight, all theaters in uh, Los Angeles County will be closed indefinitely. Ah. And I was dying. I pulled up the theater. I'm telling you, I had the sweats. I was like, closed indefinitely. We just opened. And I go into the theater, and the oh. staff is there, and they're like, hi. They're all sweet. And I go, did you guys just hear the news? They hadn't heard it. So oh, I told I told them what happened. I didn't even know they hadn't heard it. And they burst into tears because they're like, we don't have a job. The theater's not going to be open tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah. holy cow. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, it was actually pretty scary, I have to say. I literally just got chills hearing you talk about that. I know it's so sad. No, because we're big moviegoers. We go to the theaters for everything, um, regardless of whether we have it right at home or not. You know, um, we, I am glad we didn't go see Wonder Woman, though. Yeah, I'm, no. glad, I'm glad we waited for, <laughs> for that. <laughs> no, luckily hey, we had HBO Max. I got to say, though, so when we first saw this movie, all right, dude, from the bottom of my heart, Bailey... You kick so much fucking ass, yeah. dude. You were so incredibly good. And I was listening to another podcast, and uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, Tusia, obviously, but you you auditioned a lot of people for this role and kept coming back to him. And I completely not only co-signed to that, but I just want to tell you, man, you did such a great fucking job, yeah. honestly. Can you walk us through the process of, you know, the audition? Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for saying that. That's really yeah. sweet. He's a really, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was terrifying, but also really a lot of fun to play. The process was pretty wild. I sent in like a cold sort of self-tape um, monologue from one of the, the the audition monologue from the script and I I can't, I can't remember how long it took to hear back the first time but it was this sort of like as I now understood ongoing process for them as well where I think I came in and auditioned two more times and yep. um, something like that but it was um, two or three more times but I will say to Tusia's credit like all along I felt like it was the most like supportive audition process I've ever been in. Like I felt very <laughs> taken care of in terms of like knowing that like a decision still hadn't been made and they're figuring things right. out. And there was a lot of people and did you, you kind of like tell your gut that you had it? Oh, it's such you know it's such mm-hmm. a hard thing because you st- you know like especially when you start getting more scenes as you go in for the callbacks and you get to like actually dip a toe into playing a character, especially one as sort of fun to play as Jacob. 
<laughs> that you just you just start wanting it really badly and you like mm-hmm. feel like it's yours and i once had a um a family friend who's an actor give me a really great piece of advice which was that when you're auditioning it is yours it is still mm-hmm. your role to ha- it is it is your role and your time in the room is to have the role and yes jacob was one Love- of those experiences where i was just like loving every second that i even got <laughs> to just like work on it and play around and do these new and exciting things every time I came in. It totally portrayed on screen that you loved playing that role. Like you could just tell you were in it, you know, a lot of times playing such an eccentric character, you know, because you don't know whether if he's a good guy, bad guy, like if he's a victim of circumstance himself, like Like we'll get into that obviously. But I mean, there was definitely a lot of variations to this character look i'll say besides all the fucked up shit like you were so charismatic and oftentimes <laughs> hilarious <laughs> like and i know i don't know if that like i'm, I'm assuming that was the intent I, I, maybe it's just your personality that comes through uh now to you knew from the jump it was this guy right you know i have to say i watched so many because we did digital auditions we, we auditioned uh I, I can't remember i think it was the, the long scene where, with him and his mom uh, where he's just, you know, he's talking to the to the to the picture frame camera about, you know, where did you get this? And oh, you know, you were shit faced in this picture. Um, and it, so I saw a lot of digital auditions, and uh, Bailey rose to the top very very quickly. It's you can tell in the first, I mean, you can really tell in the first 10, 15 seconds. I I do watch them all the way through just because I I know how much work and time these actors uh take to prepare to do an audition like this I, i've worked with actors for yep. many years I, I did theater i did plays uh kind of like uh you did Lacey, um before i ever got into television or film um so i do watch them all the way through in case there's something that's going to catch me and surprise me uh and i gotta mm-hmm. say you know you get that gut feeling of like okay these are the three guys it's i've seen all these yep. auditions hundreds uh over 400 auditions these so I, I whittled it down to three guys my favorite was Bailey um mm-hmm. and uh because he was it's one of those things where, when you're a writer and a director you you of course want your actor to stay true to the script but it's also found footage right so you so you right. can't you don't want to make it at all appear like acting and so he, he would surprise me in those auditions and then uh he came back for multiple uh callbacks and then of course chemist chemistry tests because we whittled oh. down the, the mom abby's character and then we whittled down uh the kid jacob uh mm-hmm. and so then we would test them against each other and see what the synergy was there and, and for me as a as a director if someone can stay true to the script the script and yet Still yep. surprise me. That that is that is key because they're going to bring something that I could never have imagined for this project, and they're going to make it greater, right? That's what you want. You want people all the way from, from your lead actor to your DP all the way down to your PA. You want everybody to contribute on a level that makes your vision uh, greater, deeper. Uh, right. And he did that consistently. So so it did come down to three, and then it went down to two, two uh, two actors for Jacob and. I was really hard for Bailey, and it's one of those tricky things where, of course, you know, films cost money, so we had to have investors. And I'm a I'm a found footage film buff. I'm a horror film buff, you know. Uh, and so for me, I, I wanted Jacob, and there was a lot of debate of well, clearly I wanted Bailey, and clearly Bailey is deeper. He's he's inhabiting this character in a way that is truly extraordinary. Uh, but this other kid has a name. He was in this show, and he was on that movie, and 
we went back and forth because I was struggling with, yeah, but it's found footage. You're not supposed to have a name. Uh, of course, we ended up going with with name uh, yeah. name, name talent for for Melinda uh, for Abby, who, who's played by uh, the the incredible Melinda Page Hamilton, and then of course Ed Asner makes a cameo. Uh, <laughs> but I was struggling with that because I'm like, no, you know, I want to stay true. I, to I the gotta say, footage. see here. Uh-huh. Well, that, so it's funny because that was like the one thing that I wanted to talk about with you too. That was hilarious to me because like it is, it is so real on so many levels, and then I'm like. This fucking Ed Asner. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, there's some funny, there's some some interesting backstories there. But just to finish about Bailey, it came down to uh, talent, pure talent, right? Bailey was clearly, uh, t- took took the material to a different level. So we, we pulled the trigger on it. And then it wasn't until afterwards that we found out, which, you know, much to the joy of the investors, that Bailey's father is Anthony Edwards. Uh, who of See, course okay. is a big celebrity. So the, and when I called the investor that day, they were like, "What?" You know, we pulled the trigger on Bailey. They're like, "That he's way better than this other guy. He's it's Anthony Edwards' son's breakout role. He never even told us." So it was a it was a, it was a great moment, I have to say. And the fact that he never told you, Bailey, I gotta say that's probably one of the most gangster things I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> well, no, because that, that literally, like you said, they were they it wanted a bigger name. That that's the exact opposite. Where obviously, like you said, um, you know, people go to these you know extremes to get these roles, and and they care so much about them, and you can tell by watching it. But then to hear that, like as okay, as a movie goer and as a movie fan, like I love I love stuff like that. But more importantly, I love that story. That yeah, obviously, you know, that's you not, didn't need to. That's that's not why. No, yeah. you're the man. That's why you got the role. It was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was a. Uh, <laughs> that was a bold choice on my end. I well, I just I don't know. It felt like in my life, I it's been a very rare opportunity wherein I can do that, where I can run a little test on something and just be like, hey, like, is this me or is this not me? Is this me or are you interested maybe in my dad? And like, I, you know, like, and and truth be told, like, even this audition was not an audition I got through my representation. And I always knew know that with my representation, that's maybe something they're floating in the conversation with people. And I was like, this is a unique opportunity. I found this audition on my own. I'm sending in this tape on my own. This is a weirdly unique opportunity for me not to do that and to know that that wasn't in the mix. And so I was like, I gotta do it. I gotta, even for my weird sort of sadistic need I don't I was like I just need to do it I need to prove it to myself even or something so how did you actually hear about the role then because you said you didn't go through representation oh I think I found it on like backstage or something like full Um. on like when TC is talking about like the 400 submissions like it was I was one of those 400 I found like a backstage listing for a character that sounded crazy and I was like (laughs) <laughs> I gotta I gotta try this one out. Wow, that is so great. We here at Cut to the Chase, we watch a lot of movies. Um, we don't necessarily review them all because, you know, they're not exactly my cup of tea. Anywhere from like the most low budget uh, you know, craziness slasher movies, just sheer stupidity to you know the the we want, blockbusters yeah you know, we got tenant right here you know we, we we review everything something that that really struck me though about this movie when i watched it was the use of 
the found footage. And even just saying that, I mean, obviously I'm cluing everybody into where I'm headed, but it's, I feel like that's the genre name, but I feel like what you did with this movie to was you really did kind of um, take that and were very smart about it. And, and it seemed like every shot it was when you're watching something on screen, you're in the back of your mind, you're always considering, okay, where where is this footage coming from? There's so many other things to consider as opposed to just watching a straight up movie. And I, I would assume that that balancing that line would be probably one of the more difficult parts of making the movie. You know what, Dan? What's funny is that I thought you because I, I I have a career in making television, but I always wanted to make film. I come from uh, from theater. I love working with actors. I thought, well, for my first film, I'm just going to make a found footage film because it's cheaper. Boy, <laughs> boy, I got to tell you. I, 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 it is grossly underestimated how easy it may or may not be or cheap it may or may not be to make a, a found footage film because you're thinking, oh, you can make it on the fly. You could just hold a, a, a cell phone. You can, you know, ad lib. Uh-uh. People do go to great lengths to make it appear real. And I have to tell you, when you don't have the perfect light because you don't want the perfect light for found footage or the perfect shot because, of course, all your cameras are are, are planted, right? You don't have yeah. a DP pulling focus or, or following the action. It was one of the most challenging projects I've ever done. And I cannot say that it was cheaper than what it may have been to make a regular film, <laughs> you know, because, because uh, listen, I mean, I love the found footage format. I was horrified and thrilled when the Blair Witch Project came out. It, it's one of those things where there's a lot of rules in found footage. There really are. And and right. stay true to the subgenre. You you can't break them, not in good conscience. You know, all of the music for the film, which was, of course, you know, pre-written and pre-recorded by spooky bands, which is uh, he's one of the one of the uh, recording artists, the main one. Everything yep. had to be worked out in advance. You had to have a natural source in scene for that music, for the for the, you know, audio coming out of the car radio or the audio coming out of the television. Everything has to be planned in advance. And we would rehearse with it when ba Bailey not Bailey and I are neighbors, by the way. Uh, yes, we, I love we, that. We found out, uh, a, a rehearsal number one, we found out, you know, he and I would practice with the music, you know, because I wanted to set a tone for the scene and I wanted to see him explore what that, those beats might do to him or his character. And so a lot of work goes into everything. And of course, I, I you know, I, I won't lie and say, oh, we decided we were going to film it on a iPhone and you know, filmed it on an iPhone the whole time. No, and most found footage uh, movies don't actually. But yeah. you know, w when we were doing all of the storyboarding, you know, pre-pre-shooting stuff, I realized that the GoPros and the iPhones were not capturing enough information to make the scene dynamic and vibrant. You know, when you got a wide shot, you know, right. when when the mom and the son are fighting or she's following him or whatever it is. It wasn't capturing enough data, enough enough pixels, enough color, enough anything, d dimension. You know, halfway through storyboarding, I said, shit, guys, uh, we need a different camera. It's like, we need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone looked at me like, ah, and I said, yes, I will go to the investors. And I made a case and, and they were they were kind enough and believed in us enough to um, to support that. And so we had to get different cameras. To film some of those scenes, of course, there's a lot of iPhone footage. There's a lot of GoPro. The nanny cam where she's spying on him the whole film 
is, yes. uh, is you know, that's obviously GoPro. But some of those, you know, planted planted cameras in the ceiling, it's so wide that we had to get a, a better camera that could pick it up. And of course, we degraded that image in post. But but I think it's a myth that found footage films are so much cheaper to make. You know? yes. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, I just want to let you guys know um, how I found out about this movie um, because I'm, I'm a little bit more on social media than Dan. Everybody was talking Everybody, about Everybody, literally. Everybody. And, and, you know, I'm from pop horror, so I'm, I have to be in, like, all these different horror groups. Yep. And every single horror group, there was a poster for, and it had, you know, the, the MLM. And I'm like, well, what is this, you know, and there, and I love found footage. I am not a Blair Witch fan, but I do love me some found footage. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it, and I was so happy to hear that, uh, you know, you're a horror fan as well, because it's it's one of those things where... And you just I, get it. I don't get... Well, not only that, though, I don't even mean this in a bad way, but this, to me, is not a horror film in a lot of ways. And that actually... It's deeper. Yeah, and, and that's where I wanted to get into, you know, your history in television as well, because um, a lot of people, you know, they just, hey, I'm going to make a movie, and they make it. Well... I'm assuming that um, being a showrunner on a show is somewhat similar. Um, I know, obviously, it's not, you know, directly, you know, the same thing. But obviously, you went into it with, with a lot of experience in the business and stuff like that. And that's one thing that I've noticed just when you speak about it. You're talking about things that to a lot of people, like, uh, yeah, no, like, I don't have Ed Asner's number <laughs> and stuff like that. So... I don't know. I think that from a from a viewer's perspective, I think that those things came across. I could be completely wrong, and please tell me if I am. But I I particularly liked the use of the cameras. For one thing in particular that I liked in the house is, I, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I started getting really claustrophobic with it. Being in the same space, whether it be his bedroom and then that main living room, and when you're in that space for a while, I found it very effective. And there are certain things that are reminiscent of horror movies, obviously. But me personally, I don't even consider this really a horror movie. This is more like real life horror. Yes, it is real life. There was a lot of questions in that. And I got to tell you, Dan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but 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 that is exactly what we wanted is 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 to create that environment of being claustrophobic. But I have to say that we had the 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 privilege of working with such an incredible crew and our art director uh, is just an incredible art director named uh, Deborah Dupree. She and, and one of the producers who, again, an incredible producer named Elaine White had the idea painting the different rooms, different colors, because I was having a very hard time looking at, at the selects, the dailies before we just from the rehearsals, we, we did rehearsals uh, and filmed them. I, I was having, a, I was so claustrophobic that I wasn't able to pay attention to what Melinda and Bailey were saying as their characters. And, um, and I'm very intuitive that way. I, 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 I am able to connect with my vision. And also uh, I am very willing to completely tear down my vision if it's not working once right. we're doing it. Right. And uh, Deborah and Elaine came up with this idea. And I remember when they pitched it to me and it was so incredible. And thank God they did. But they said, well, instead of getting a, a, a diff different cameras, what if we painted the rooms different? We already had a lime green uh, theme, like a color palette, because, of course, lime green is the color of mental health awareness. Right. 
kind of like pink is the color of of, of breast cancer awareness. Uh, lime green is the color of mental yeah. health. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, so, so we had already incorporated that, but they had this idea of, well, why don't we paint this room yellow or this room orange, and, and you know, orange meaning hazard, and this is where he has his tantrum or the, or whatever it was, and, and it was such a good idea, and so we did, all of us, we, we painted the entire crew, uh, DP down to PA to me, uh, to the producer's parents, uh, got in that house and we painted every room a different, very distinct color and did camera oh. tests on it so that we could, it still has that feeling of, of being claustrophobic, but at least you could tell the difference of the rooms so that right. there was a different environment, right, in each different room, which was which was really incredible. But yeah, the, you know, one of the other questions you asked was about TV uh, versus film. Yes. They're very different. It's kind of like if you're good at baseball, you may not be great at basketball, right? Right. Uh, they're both professional sports, uh, but they're, they're, it's a very uh, different world and different way to create them. So, so there are a lot of similarities, meaning I work a lot in, in, in documentary uh, series, documentary television. And so, you know, my career in documentary television, even reality television, informed my approach to, to found footage because I wanted to make sure that everything that these actors said was so real that you could not tell the difference between yes. between a documentary or film. And that's a lot of the comments that we get on our social media is, wait, is this a documentary? I, 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 they've seen the whole film and they're still asking that, you know, um, which to me is a great, you know, that's a huge compliment. Um, and and I, I want them to not be able to tell the difference because, of course, the, the, the subject, the topic of the film is very real, right? The topic of the right. film, the subject of the film is very much about, um, you know, the, the kind of the breakdown of communication between a mother and a, and a son that can contribute to shootings, to school shootings, right, or, or youth violence anyway. Um, and so that's a very real topic. So we had to be very careful about how we portrayed that, you know, and I didn't want to go too, you know, bloody, gutty horror. I right. wanted to keep as gr grounded in as much truth as possible. The, the back and forth between the mother and son too, and it obviously felt like a game at some points and stuff like that, yeah. kind of the mental warfare. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like every family has issues and I think people can identify certain levels of this. Obviously there, there are many different levels, some more extreme than others, but I just felt like it was so effective because, you know, a lot of the stuff the mother does obviously uh, is triggering it's, him. It's and very questionable parenting at that. Right. And, and you know, and you said the, the breakdown of communication. And all I can think of is, wow, like, you know, if, if you sat these two people down and that they're so close, you know, they're they're they just, just had a conversation. They're just coming at each other the <laughs> wrong way. And one thing leads to another and things escalate. And, you know, living in America, too, you, you see how things escalate. So this was so real on so many different levels. Yeah, Bailey, I got to ask you. So after like your peers have seen this <laughs> yeah right right what what was the reaction yeah i mean I, like I, I sort of was saying this earlier when we were you know doing a little pre-facetime thing i have had a couple people literally dear friends of mine known me my whole life be like i don't enjoy this experience anymore of like <laughs> video chatting with you because I'm just getting Jacob now. Um, yeah, when we did it earlier, that was real. I was like, oh shit. I, I, yeah, I felt and like because I was like, I feel like we're shooting in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, 
that's always obviously like such an insane compliment in this case it's a little more terrifying and for the first time ever I'm like meeting people whose first impression of me is that (laughs) character and is that you know really tortured really in a lot of pain boy yeah and um so yeah he's been an interesting sort of ghost to carry around with me and kind of you know spurred some hilarious reactions as well have you had people like recognize you obviously there's a lot of lockdown going on or whatever but have you had people recognize you now because of this film not yet i've been very masked so here's hoping that i can like (laughs) terrify someone coming around the corner when we're all like vaccinated and around people again i don't Um, know your eyes were so piercing in that film i think i can recognize you through a mask Oh, God, then I sincerely hope I don't run into you in a Trader Joe's. That is is not what I would want to run into. Well, one of the more, uh, one of the, you know, things that I love about this movie, too, was obviously the very beginning, how they used uh, the little, the little kid version. Yeah, no, we were, I was like, like, wow, that really looks like him. I was like, how did they get that? I was like, it's like, it looks just like him. And then I was like, there's no way that there, that, that is any other kid but him. (laughs) There's no way. It was so him. Like, you know how some kids change when they get older? Dude, you look exactly the same as you, as a baby. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think that might have been the more, like, one, honestly, maybe one of the more perverse aspects of this filmmaking process, though, was yeah. sitting with Tusia and going through childhood photos of my, uh, childhood videos of myself and being like, we can make this evil. Or, like, how could we, like, twist this around or whatever, whatever. And, like, watching, I'm like, I was a very sweet, angelic child. I was very strong-willed, but I was, like, I was, like, a long-haired fairy child. And then next thing you know, (laughs) Bailey's turned into Jacob with just, like, a couple little, like, like, changing what's being said in the video. And it's, I've watched my whole childhood become something very different. <laughs> like just you sitting in the grass. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm assuming that didn't happen. I was like, I hope that didn't happen. No, no it did not happen. Smart though, it's that just is... real filmmaking. Yes. Yeah, no, that yeah. I was like, I'm sitting. That was me. I think I was like on a family trip to Ireland. I'm like sitting in the woods, thinking about like what fairies and gnomes are living around me. And they're like, and my, small and they're like, let's put Melinda in here talking about some animal you killed. I was like, uh. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's exactly right. You know what, you guys? That was never. It was never part of the original <laughs> screenplay. <laughs> It was so good. No, it's so good. We're (laughs) laughing because it was just so perfect. Yeah, no, it's smart because a lot of the times you watch these movies and like the kid looks nothing like. It was you. You know, so how did that plan come up or come into fruition? You know, I have to say that (laughs) that Bailey and also his parents are so collaborative because what happened is, you know, we cut the film together and we did a lot of early screenings with all of my horror friends and colleagues and all of my film and television uh, friends, colleagues. And a lot of people were saying, well, but when did you start filming him? You know, because the film starts when, when (laughs) he's 15, right? And then she has a, you know, she talks in the garage about how when he was 14, he, 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 you know, she thought he was going to shoot up his high school and, you know, she turned him into a diversion program and all of that. But, it was like, when did she start filming him? So we had a questionnaire that we would have people fill out at the, at the end of the screenings. And a lot of people said what two things, which were not in the, in the screenplay uh, or and we had not filmed. 
One is what was he like? When did you start filming him? What was he like as a kid? Right. Which is a very valid question. Uh, and then, of course, the next one was, well, what is he like with his friends when his mom's not there? And, and I had this moment when I got when I was reading through all of these questionnaires and I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, we already shot the film, guys. Like you're asking for new shit. Um, and I didn't want to shoot new stuff necessarily. But but I, I remember talking to Bailey and to a friend of uh, of, of Bailey's and, and, and the Edwards family, uh, Mark Polish, who's an incredible director. We, we batted around some ideas and I ended up asking Bailey, do you have home video of you when you were a kid? He's like, yes. So he sent me. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of, of tapes, small, small, little tiny tapes he dropped off at my house. And I was watching them and I was getting increasingly more frustrated because the more I watched them, the more I realized he was a little friggin' fairy, right? Like he, there's right. nothing <laughs> remotely evil about this kid. And I'm looking at these videos and, you know, I'm having to like smoke pot and think of like, what would Abby say in this moment and create some kind of terror? And I couldn't do it. And so I called Bailey and I'm like, Bailey, dude. Like you're such a nice kid. And also you have two sisters and you guys are all like these little cherubs running around and floating. Can you please come over to my house? Can we watch this together and brainstorm together because I cannot be evil no matter how much I try. Uh, so he came over and, and we did, we watched through a, a, a box of, of, of tapes together and came up with what perhaps uh, Abby, his mom in the film could be saying behind the camera that might make him look evil and we and we found enough clips where where we felt like we could do that. And then of course we did audio pickups, ADR uh, with Melinda. Sure enough, it worked, and that's how we start the whole film, right? It's that moment when when he's you know a five year old sitting in I guess you know Ireland. I forgot about that. <laughs> green, green Ireland, uh, thinking about gnomes and goblins, and and we make we make it about you know mom saying, "Did you mean to kill that?" You know. <laughs> right. Daddy, I want to know. It really was so smart, though, it because, really you know, it's that constant back and forth where it's like, obviously, you know, you don't want to say, hey, I totally side with this dude because, you know, certain things are obviously not only questionable, but just downright wrong. But then obviously she's there's a lot of gaslighting uh, happening. There's a lot of just in between just back and forth, like I said, mental warfare. But to put something like that in actually, you know, ask the question, too. Well, it it, it elevates it to the point where it's like, well, okay, how long has she kind of had it in her head, you know, due to her brother as well um, from an early age? And obviously it coinciding with him actually doing it at an early age as well. So it's like, well, these questions have been going on for a long time, too. So while I'm watching this movie, you know, I know obviously we're having a good time laughing here, but it it really does get into your head in terms of, like, what the context is. And and it seems like every line kind of, you know, goes either for or against each character, and you're constantly kind of swaying back and forth. Yeah, so let me ask you this. How did you come up with the concept? Because you obviously wrote and directed it. So where did this idea stem from? You know, it stemmed from, it was actually very personal for me in the beginning. I, I, I did not have the idea for the film in the beginning, but I, uh, my sister uh, and her four kids live in Connecticut. Uh, in 2012, we had the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, right? At that time, I had remembered, right when I saw it on the news, it was like in December, I saw it on the news, like there's been 20 or, or plus, it ended up being 20 kids and like six six teachers or something 
uh, slaughtered in that shooting. I, I saw it on the news and it said Sandy Hook Elementary. And I was like, Sandy Hook Elementary, that sounds so familiar. And then I, I realized my sister and her daughter, my niece, had gone to that school and she wanted to be enrolled there. It was a bit of a drive for my sister and I couldn't remember if she went. And so I started calling my sister like, holy shit, there's been this, this you know, massacre at Sandy Hook. And my sister, and all the, the, the lines were down, all the phones were down. So she wasn't answering. And I spent about eight or nine hours terrified that my niece had been killed in this, because she was, would have been a first grader. She would have been in that classroom at the same time that that former student went in there and blew away, you know, 20 first graders. And I have to say that the, the, the impetus of the film really, uh, the genesis, I guess, started in that moment. But I didn't realize at that time that I want to make a film about it. At that point, I was just devastated. And of course, right. things that devastate us or, or that, you know, touch, move and inspire us on any kind of deep level, you want to do more with that, right? You, you want to share that. Right. You want to uh, make it something that's as important to other people as, as maybe it is to you. So that was in 2012. I, I did not come up with the idea for the film for many years later, but I will say that as school shootings increased and increased and increased to the point where it was just, you know, I have, uh, uh, I, I have family members who have been in Vegas for the festival shooting. You know, I have, I have people in San Bernardino who are in that shooting. Like it's really close to home. Yeah. And I thought, you know, shit, man, we have to talk about this stuff because what happens is we're, we all get so upset and horrified when the shooting happens and then we talk about it, we post about it, and then we're like, yes, this is horrible, we all agree, and then we kind of, you know, fizzle out and another shooting happens and we're like, WTF, how did that happen? Well, guess what? That right. happens because people aren't talking about it. And right. how do you inspire people to talk about it without making it a, a divisive political line, right? Without making it about gun control and mental health, which of course is, is what divides us all politically. This is not a political issue. This is a very human issue and a very you know uniquely American issue. So at first I wanted to do a film. And then I was like, no, I should do a documentary and, and talk to these survivors. And then I thought, no, it's going to be politicizing. As soon as somebody sees... You know, yep. a, 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 any of these survivors, you know, all the way down to Marjorie Stillness, Doug, the, the, you know, David Hogg, it's going to be politicized. It's going to be left or right. And I thought I wanted right. to make a film that wasn't left or right, but I also wanted to capture the attention of, you know, the, the youth of America. And guess what? The youth of America has a very fractured psyche, right? Because we're all, you know, toggling back and forth between YouTube and, you know, Snapchat and TikTok. And so I wanted to make a film in that space where it was fractured, where it didn't necessarily uh, have a chronological order, where it, where it kind of, you know, spoke to, to the way that our psyche works these days. Um, right. And I thought, why not make a found footage film? A, it's going to be cheaper. My first mistake. Uh, and, <laughs> and B, that's how we're used to ingesting content. So I thought well, it would be a good format for it, you know. For, for a movie like this, though, I feel like the, the found footage kind of format, it, it was perfect for it. I can't really imagine this any other way because of those things that you mentioned. You know, it's so ingrained in our culture now, you know, Facebook Live videos even, just these normal, these normal everyday things that, yeah, like in the right context can be viewed as really kind of off-putting. And that's one thing that I wanted to ask you as well. Now, you are the showrunner for Intervention. Now, for me personally, that's one of my all-time favorite shows um, for, for many reasons. Um, I really do feel like that show helped 
people. And, and obviously, I feel like, you know, you do too. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you if there's a correlation between that and whatever you're doing, whether it be, you know, producing a show or whether it be making a movie, because these are all tapping into things that that are starting conversations, that are elevating it to that next level. That's not just... Hey, I made a slasher. Like, and which is nothing's wrong with that, but mm -hmm. like you're doing something that is so much more important. And and before you answer, I just want to say like thank you. Thank you for doing that personally. Oh well, thank you for acknowledging that. Hey, Dan and Lucy, how the heck do you know what the showrunner means? Nobody knows what showrunner means. <laughs> <laughs> I I watch I, I hear about uh the showrunners on the flash and arrow. Um, that's well, about it. I I am a huge reality. Um, so I watched, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, like I'm a big, like it's sad to say, but I do watch like The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Um, but there sad. was this um, show, it's no longer on, I'm really sad about it. It was four seasons, it was on Lifetime, it was called Unreal. Ugh, I love Unreal. Yes. yes. Fuck yes. Like, oh so my, good. Right? <laughs> so um, good. Continue. So, Nobody talks about the show. Constance Zimmerman, oh my god, she is <laughs> phenomenal, and I, I, I wish that we could have more her, but um, no, the show is about, um, you know, a reality. It's based kind of like um, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, but it's like the behind the scenes of what these producers, the showrunners are doing, like, uh, you know, pushing the show to go in a certain direction or... Um, so they use that terminology. So that's how I know what a showrunner is. I guess, I guess the short answer is I don't know what you do. So I'd love to ask you, actually. What, yeah, that's, so that's it, a very so, good question. So have you seen that show? Yes, I have. Okay, so how accurate is that? It's actually pretty darn accurate. <laughs> oh, thank God, because that's exactly what I thought your job was. <laughs> um, a showrunner, most people think, when you say showrunner, most people are think that you are a runner, which means like a lower level PA and you're doing errands for other people. You're, you're, you're running. <laughs> and when I hear people say that, I'm like, I can totally mm. see why they would think that. However, <laughs> there, was a, there was a documentary made actually that was, I think was called showrunner. A, a, a showrunner <laughs> for a television show or a series is the, the, the visionary for that series. So it's the person that hires the directors and the writers yep. and the producers and the talent uh, and oversees it all. And, and I got to tell you, when shit hits the fan, when shit hits the fan, uh, the showrunner goes down. But when a show does well, of course, the showrunner does take that credit. But the, the way that, that showrunners are credited on, on, on television series is yeah. usually co-EP or EP, uh, right. EP, executive producer, co-executive producer. And there's a lot of, you know, usually there's a lot of executive producers because there's money involved. And co-executive producers, because you know a lot of decisions are being made on on, on logistical levels, creative levels. For me, that is what I do. It, it, it's a vision, uh, and yeah. hiring the right people to carry out that vision, um, or to enhance that vision, ideally. And it's a very tricky job. It's a very non-rewarding job because nobody knows what the what the word means. But I have to say that when I'm, you know, I, I am the showrunner for Intervention, and, and actually we're coming out. Our, our new season of Intervention is airing on March 15th. Uh, on Monday, oh. March 15th, and, and every Monday after that. So we have two seasons right now. This this one's going to come out in March. And I have to say that it, it's one of those things where uh, it is, I've done a lot of television. I've, I've done things I'm yeah. not proud of, and I've done things I'm very proud of. 
right. Intervention is one of the shows that I'm most proud of because you're right, Dan, it does, it does help people. In fact, everyone who we've been working with for this last season, they're still in recovery. And we're talking about people who have been, nice. you know, an addict, uh, uh, you know, struggling with addiction for you know, five, 10, 15, in some cases, 20 years. Now they're in recovery and they're, and they're repairing these relationships with their parents, with their kids. Oh, and I have it. to say that, that, you know, being a showrunner, I am working from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'm on Zooms, right? And that's just weekdays. On, on the weekends, if we're shooting, I'm on call. I, I leave my phone on at night, right? Because we have people in the field and emergencies come up and executive decisions have to be made that are sometimes very, very hard to make. So, Working in television is not super rewarding, but working on a show like Intervention is very rewarding because you do know at the end of the no matter what all the the crap you go through in a day or a week, at the end of the day I go to sleep thinking, oh my God, I'm making a difference, you know. And I think we're all wired on some level to want right. to make a difference, right? right. Now, um, so it's nice to work on a show where you are. Now, with COVID and everything, I would assume that, I, I don't know, I'm assuming that you're privy to information and stats and stuff, but I'm assuming addiction rate has gone up with COVID as well. So um, now more no, than that, right? <laughs> yeah, they're one of the highest risk uh, uh, groups because, yeah, yeah. of course, you know, when you're struggling with addiction, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that happens is you isolate yourself from your friends and family, right? You want to get away from them because you don't want them to say, hey, you're acting funny. Uh, are right. you okay? And you isolate yourself. Yep, yep. Well, <laughs> with the pandemic, with COVID, everybody is isolated. So everyone has, everyone who has, uh, you know, the propensity to to struggle with substance abuse is doing it and nobody's stopping them because they're not around anybody. So these numbers are going through the roof. You know, these rehabs are, are inundated with people looking for help for, you know, the two hot seconds where they think they want help and then they decide, oh, my, you know, I have fever, my body aches, I don't want help anymore, I want to go do another, I yep, want to yep. go slam another shot, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it's a it's a very, in fact, at the beginning of COVID, because uh, we were we were in pre-production for, for this new season of intervention in February, right before our film came out in March, and you know, it's for A&E networks. And of course, all the networks were like, let's go on hiatus. Let's shut down. We don't want to expose our crew for good reason. But I was right, looking right. at the numbers and looking at the amount of people, the, the spiking numbers of people, you know, using drugs and alcohol to cope with the, with the pandemic. And I right. thought of all um, organizations who cannot afford to let their their people down, their audience down, sure. But it's us. Like we cannot yeah, yeah. say, sorry, oh. you know, this is going to be a bit tricky. We, you know, wearing masks is going to be a real problem. We can't do that. We have to continue to make this show because that's our obligation. We've been making this show for over 15 years, right? That, that was one of the big questions I had, too. I always wondered this about this show, so I have to ask you. Obviously, like you said, in its 15th season in the later years, um, and I don't want to say like, oh, my favorite episodes are the heroin shows, but I do feel like those shows are probably the more popular ones and what people think of and what's indicative of that show when you do think of it. So in the later seasons, do you find yourself trying to trying to kind of um, more humanize it and be more of the person's story as opposed to whatever particular drug that they may be using? Um, is that kind of an issue that comes up in the later seasons more so than I would assume before? You know, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's a true documentary series. So what 
we do, what we see is what we get when we're yep. out there building with them for a week or, or a couple of weeks. That, that is what we get. So, so I have to say that, that, you know, we filmed this season that that's premiering in March in Las Vegas and okay. yeah, listen, the whole country is being ravaged by an opioid epidemic. Right. But in Las Vegas, there's also a methamphetamine epidemic. Right. Uh, so, so it's, 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 we are allowed to be as human or as to humanize the subject matter as that subject, you know, that person struggling with addiction and their family allows yeah. us as much as they let us in. It's as much as we can show. So, yes, we struggle with people who are who don't want to let us in, who have a reputation to upkeep or are embarrassed or whatever it is. They didn't know it was intervention. They thought it was a documentary series, which is what we tell them in the beginning. Um, right. So so I I wouldn't say that we're humanizing it anymore. I will say that people are very, very desperate right now. Yeah. Um, and so we're capturing a bit of that. Um, it's very hard. You know, when we do screenings in post on these episodes, you know, we all weep, even if we're on Zoom yeah. or, or, or whatever application we're on, we're, we're, we're weeping in these episodes, you know, yeah. uh, it's a human, this is a human problem. No, I, I, without a doubt. And, and everywhere too, there was a documentary that came out that was much similar to intervention. Um, even on Cape Cod. And, you know, I knew a couple of the people in that as well. And it just really hits home for me. And again, how it translates through, you know, whether it be something like that or this movie that you made, it, it just seems like there's a, um, there's a, there's always the thought of thinking above and beyond just making a movie and you're really trying to say something. And I truly think that much like in this movie too, you know, at the very end, how there's another mother watching it, it's kind of mirrors real life in that sense to where I think, yeah, people can actually watch this movie and take something from yeah, it like and learn something from it. It's relatability. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting. I'll let Bailey tell this story, but uh, we went back and forth about whether or not um, to show a firearm, a gun in the film in any way, sense or form. And uh, we did end up showing one. There's one clip that that Jacob is watching that, that his mom watches. But I remember talking about it or maybe it wasn't me. I think it was one of our reporters on set when we did we did some of the EPK um, interviews and they mm -hmm. asked him about guns and and you know the film is about a school shooter or is it really uh, and I'll let Bailey speak to it because it's in, I always thought his perspective of is it about a school shooter or is it about what we perceive because of what we know in, in today's time yeah I'm really yeah. curious of how he perceived the character like just right. reading it yeah. prior to you know exactly did it evolve more or this, this has got to be one of the more talked about movies that that I can remember. You know, even um, when we need to talk about Kevin came out. Yeah, for sure. I would actually say more so this movie. I don't know. For me personally, this movie, it, it definitely struck a nerve and the realness came through. In so many ways, uh, except for, like I said, with Ed Asner. I'm like, I hope he gives Johnny Lawrence all the money in next season. <laughs> well, yeah, nobody so. knows who Ed Asner is if, if, if you're under 50. Except me, right? For me, I really, when you think about these school shooters, you don't think about, um, you know, you don't think about the opposite character, you know, the families. Right. You just think about, oh, well, he probably had a bad home life or it's such a black such, and white. You know? So, Bailey, I'm really curious. What were your thoughts when you were reading this script? And then when did 
did the character transcend more? Like, did you have a different perspective once you started to play him? Well, I think that for me, it was like, it's really easy, I think, when approaching the script or reading the story for the first time, like the things that are all going to jump out to you are like the bells and whistles, the sort of insane, the like insanity and the like, how crazy is he? Right. Like, let's lean into this crazy, you know, like whatever, whatever. <laughs> but I think that to get to, to your guys's and to see his point always about the real life horror of it, we already exist with this sort of in our psyche all the time. It's so ubiquitous. It's so, the you know, the danger of a shooting is so pervasive in this way. Like that darkness, that horror already exists in there. So for me, and coming into this situation, I mean, first and foremost, I'm so, so grateful for Melinda, who played my mom, because who played Abby, because for me, at the core of this whole movie, it is a broken relationship. It is the breakdown and yeah. of communication between a mother and son. And that's like fundamentally human. That's classically Greek. That goes way, way, way back. This idea of the pain and potential danger and violence inside of broken familial relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's where it all came from. That's where yeah. like as an actor and as someone who is, I so far have not discovered myself to be a sociopath. I was like, if I'm going to <laughs> find the, the immediate place one has to go to is the humanity and is the like fundamental human nature. And that's in the relationship that's with, right. Between a mother yeah. and a son. Yeah. So this is like going to be a big question. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, I don't think it, it, I, I don't know. It's a little bit. That's all right. I had a 15-part question earlier. She answered. <laughs> so just no, no. I think a, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, will want clarity on this question anyway. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you got? Is Jacob a sympathetic character? Is he, you know, a victim of, you know, his mom? You know, like obviously she has alcohol issues. Uh, we'll get into more of the um, uncle stuff later. The brother. Um, but right now, I want to know is, was Jacob pushed, in your opinion, so far by his mother, or was he actually a psychopath, as his mom thought? Can I answer? I'm no, sorry. you're not allowed to <laughs> I answer. Well, I'm asking Bailey. I want to answer. So. I honestly, well, I mean, I would love an answer, personally. No, I, <laughs> you know, look, I think, like, there's a, the simple, you know, for me, the simple answer is always that, like, uh, I think that we get there's a sort of like a, an ability for me as an actor it was like i'm not going to judge this character if I, the second i start judging this character i'm dead um i have to I, as hard and and i think this was the actual challenge of it like i must see him i must see what he want and see why he's doing the things that he's doing and i think that at the end of the day i think the one of my favorite parts of this film which complicates what is always such a simple narrative, which is somebody goes and does something horrible and horrific because yeah. they're a psychopath. And to right. me, that is meaningless. That's a that's just a blanket sort of like rub over of a story and a blanket sort of like, that's that could never be me, that could never be us, that's them. That's the right. psychopath. They're different, they're wrong, they're fundamentally broken in some way, shape or form. And yeah. I think that what Tusia did so brilliantly in this script was create characters 
where you're going to have this back and forth across the whole movie. And more importantly, it's, I don't, it makes, for me, it makes a big case for judging an individual by their actions and rather than who they really are. And so this, right. qu- the question, uh, I feel like I'm evading your question right now, but, a little bit. <laughs> it's, but it's like, it's, it's a question that can't be answered. And I think that the real, the, what's really at stake here is that whether or not Jacob himself, as he says, he's under 18, he can't be diagnosed yet. He's still developing. Right. Um, but he, what we should really be looking at, it's like, not, not whether or not he's, he is or is not fitting into the criteria of a clinical psych- psychopath, but right. just look at the, like, what this really, really, really fucked up person has done. Yeah, absolutely. And but- I think it's, and that's for me is like where I'm like, I, it's, it's like in existing in the action of him, he exists in what he does. Right. And well, that, to I, me, is where we can judge him. As a viewer, like, it kind of just seemed like you had, like, teenage angst. I mean, I'll let Tosia uh, speak on that here in a second. But for me, it felt like you just kind of had, you know, built-up aggression, like, the hormones. Uh, and, like, I, I felt, I mean, yeah, you were on the hill and you might have killed a bird. But, <laughs> <laughs> in Ireland. Um, but, <laughs> no, I, to- I totally agree. Like, I think that I... But that's where I think that, like, we, you know, like, we, if we think about, even if we just make this about, sh- like, school shootings, a big factor in all of that is, like, the copycat syndrome and is pe- is sort of, like, a culture incel world of things that is sort of, like, not every person who does these things we can even consider a psychopath by any mean, shape, or form. Do they do horrific things? Yes. But we yeah. now, but that I think is the part where like takes this story to the next level. That it's that it's about like you know it turns the mirror I think a little bit more on us. Right. Yeah. Back right. to the sort of question of teenage angst though, I think that that you know for me like I that was immediately where I came in with Jacob, which was like he dealing with in his case a mom who doesn't understand him at all and really has no has this incredible judgment against him and has this incredible way of looking at him that like right. he almost cannot help but become manifest in right yeah that's you what know? I'm like are you a uh you know a victim of circumstance in a sense they say uh you're a product of your environment mm-hmm. and the mother is you know kind of creating this environment in a sense and Obviously, she has mental instability. Um, she had some trauma as a child, uh, you know. But it feels like up into like the that you know big turning point in the climax, Jacob didn't really do anything wrong aside from you know <laughs> teenage behavior, in my opinion. Like I said, the dead bird. But <laughs> well, well, we don't even know if that's just something his mom created in her head. Like. Right. I'm going through the as I'm watching this uh that's what I said, on no, rewatch right. I I'm like seeing it completely differently and that's what was kind yes. of cool about it because the first time I went in watching it I'm watching you Bailey and I'm like ah he's a fucking villain you know like it, he did it like and then after you see it you're like well that was different <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, then he did so up in a guano and but... then and then you go back up um <laughs> and then you go back and watch it 
and you're seeing it completely different. Right. And that's what's really cool about this movie. And I don't know if that was intentional or whatnot, but it's really fucking smart. And can you speak to that? Yes. Okay. So I think there was actually, I think you beat Dan. I think that was a 17 part question. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I love it. I love the scene. Listen, uh, Lacey, you're hitting it right on the head. Meaning a lot of the, the praise and criticism we get for the film has to do with who you're rooting for, right? Yeah. Who is Jacob sympathetic? Is he a sympathetic character? Is he a victim? Is mom, is mom the bad guy? Uh, And that was very, very intentional, excruciatingly intentional. Um, And I have to say in the early screenings, one of, we used to have five questions in the early screenings and then it went to seven. And then I was like, no more than 10. I think the last one was. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And it, it had very much to do with who you're rooting for. And I have to say in the early screenings, everybody, believe it or not, was rooting for Jacob. Uh, and I think that is very much yeah. is the fact that <laughs> Bailey happens to be very charismatic and likable, right? Uh, I didn't want the the audience to root for any one person permanently. I wanted it to be a, a mental roller coaster ride. If you don't know yeah. who you're rooting for, and that came from truth, that came from me reading after I was obsessed with, you know, was my niece killed? And then she wasn't killed, but how could this have happened? And how do I prevent it? I can prevent this, right? No, it's a much bigger problem than that, right? Uh, but the more research I did, I read all the manifestos of the Columbine shooters, um, um, of, of, of the Sandy Hook shooters, every, every shooting that's ever happened. I think I have read all their very disturbing uh, and uh, hard to decipher uh, manifestos and also the memoirs. Right. The, the memoirs, Sue Claybold uh, wrote a memoir after one of her after her son was one of the, the, the Columbine shooters in 1999. And what I gathered uh, I wasn't meaning to be an expert at the time. I was just looking for answers and solutions. Um, yeah. What I gathered is that there is not a reliable narrator. Um, right. You know, the, the, the I'm trying to avoid names, but but the shooter of of Sandy Hook, his mother. What I came to, you know, I read all the emails that she had sent to the father because, of course, the first victim of of, of uh, that shooting was the mother, right? Um, mm-hmm. She, there was a, there was an excruciatingly obvious breakdown of communication between her and her son. Um, And dad, of course, yes, this this is very much based on all of these manifestos and memoirs. You know, dad was an absent parent. Um, Did, uh, I'm trying to avoid their names. Did this kid's mom contribute to him, you know, this former student of Sandy Hook going in and massacring all these kids and teachers? Yes, I believe he did. I believe she did. Um, she couldn't connect with him. There's a lot of scenes that actually didn't make the film where, where that I took directly from, from the Sandy Hook shooter or the Columbine shooters, uh, where, where, you know, the mom catches him, you know, practicing facial expressions in the mirror because he's trying to figure out how to come off as normal. Right. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where every mother thinks their kid, whether he's troubled or not, is sympathetic. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he is. And of course it comes down to a question of, of nature versus nurture or a combination thereof. There are plenty of that I was looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is it nature or nurture? I think it is a combination though. It's the combo. And I think there's plenty of, of kids who have 
sociopathic tendencies who have good, wholesome parents, but, you know, the Columbine shooter, at least one of them, uh, Sue Clable, the mom, uh, was a good, wholesome parent. She did not notice any of these signs in her son. He did not fit the profile, which, of course, became a big inspiration for this film because I thought, shit, you know, I know a lot of moms, my sisters included, and, and a lot of my good friends who are like, you know, my kid is troubled. I wonder if he's going to do something bad. He, he might not. He slapped me. Is he going to slap his teacher? Or is he going to shoot his teacher? Right. Ask right. questions. You know, a lot of families in this country ask these questions. And as we see, uh, we need to be asking it a bit more because it's happening as soon as, listen, as soon as these schools open back up, you know, come, yeah. come the fall, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have an absolute spike of school shootings and mass shootings. It's going to happen because we, yeah. haven't, we haven't dealt with the issue. And I don't think it is. You can't necessarily blame it on nature or nurture, but a combination thereof. But I can tell you that a lot of people have been turned around based on good, wholesome, uh, uh, count, you know, counseled uh, communication. Yeah. Yeah. And did, why this is I know this is a kind of a hard question, but why do you think it's just an American thing? Oh, my God. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, listen, it just boggles my mind and I can't seem to wrap my head around it. Well, you know, you can look at all the stats of, okay, there's, you know, there's violent video games and there's a lot of single home uh, parenting and there's a lot of uh, racist leanings and all of these things. But if you compare those numbers to what's happening in other countries, there is no comparison. The amount of school shootings and youth violence that we have based on the same theories that people pump out about video games or, you know, violence on television and films. Listen, Japan has, you know, they make way more revenue on their video games than America ever has. And they don't have a fraction, not a fraction of the school shootings. I I think it has very much to do uh, with the personality. uh, Right. Of America, I really do. I think it has, you know, it's that fractured psyche. It's the, it, it, it's people not communicating with their kids and also not having the resources to know how to communicate with their kids, you know? And there's I, all these programs out there, social emotional learning programs that they want to institute and, you know, implement in schools. I, I think they should implement them in communities because, in my opinion, it has very much to do with educating the parents, not just the kids, right? The kids follow what their parents uh, teach them for the most part. Um, yeah. So, so it's one of those things where, where I, you know, in, in a lot of other cultures, there's a lot more communication, regardless of how much they're on, on, on social media or the video games. They, if you look at statistics, they have a lot more, let's just say, family dinners than we yes. Family yes. communication. Uh, you get, you, you know, you get, you don't just say, oh, that's bad if you didn't go to school or you ditched or you did this. There's actually real uh, consequences uh, right. that mean something to people because they value family. In this exactly. in this country, I'm not entirely convinced that we value family or communication as much as we should. I think there's very very negative uh, consequences and ramifications for that. You know. Yep, I would completely agree. I think right. I answered twelve of Lacey's seven. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I Lacey, what were the other five? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> there's a disconnect though between people you know even we get hate one one dude and we took this and flipped it and now we call all our fans a snuggle fucks but he's like fuck <laughs> you and your lovey-dovey fucking podcast you guys are so ridiculously obnoxious fuck you fuck your show all this kind of stuff and like we're sitting there dying laughing but at the same time so many people are so quick to be negative especially mm-hmm. being anonymous too that mm-hmm. i'm from boston like i talk a lot of shit but yeah, like i say a lot yeah. of shit i say a lot of shit to people but if you heard my tone like you'd realize like i'm a wise ass just smart ass dude and like mm-hmm. you know and and my friends get that but a lot of people wouldn't get that knowing me so it's I can see that there's um, there's there's a disconnect there, or you know, things aren't coming across as they should. Now, one, one of the question, one of the questions that I really <laughs> want you to get to the core to is the second watch of this film was crucial for me because mm-hmm. um, there's a scene and we laughed about it the first time we seen it, and it was when Jacob Bailey, you were on the laptop talking to Nana. And asking her for a credit card. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're just fucking closed the shut. <laughs> but the thing about that part, though, is I didn't <laughs> so catch this. Funny. I didn't catch it on this uh, on the first watch. But um, Abby closes the laptop. Does it later. On, you know, Ed Ashner. Yes. And exactly. Yes. Mm. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, so like I, I, the the movie messes with you. Yeah. And it's like I was just like, oh my god, oh my god. Like when I was rewatching it, I was just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um. So all right. So I want to back up to when you close the laptop. <laughs> Hilarious. By now, the way. When, now, no when, money. <laughs> click. <laughs> <laughs> now was that something that you improvised or was that in the script? No, that was that was definitely in the script. And I think that like I I mean, I can't totally answer the question about the duality of that, of uh-huh. whether to see it because both of those moments were in the script. Okay. Both of them shutting it shutting it in that way. Duality. I, um, <laughs> um but I think that what I you know, thinking about that moment and I love that that pinged you and you saw the the double of that because yeah. I think just because she's not with us and I love her so much just to plug Melinda, the shit out of Melinda again, because she's, I love her and I'm obsessed with her, but <laughs> this is the first time I'd ever had like a movie mom. And I, you know, like there were, I could go on at length at length about the weird little details of our shared weird shared similarities in the way we grew up we're both we both grew up in New York City she grew up also with like actor parents like she there was all these this a really instant connection between us that um really laid the foundation for me being like oh this is my mom I'm in this house I'm trapped in this house with her and this is my mom and so for me I love a moment like that and the doubling of a moment like that because it speaks to the kind of amazing a, the amazingness of, you know, all the little details that Tusia tucked in there, but also just what a generous actor and scene partner Melinda was to be able to build up this familial thing. These, you know, they have this, they react in similar ways. They are similar people and, and share a mother and son-ness. 
Yeah. Yeah. See, I thought that you know your character was just like a little asshole who wasn't getting what he wanted the first go around, and then maybe uh, she shut the computer because she wasn't getting what she, you know, <laughs> out of frustration that nobody's wanting to help her. But at this, but it was her actions, like as she closed it on the second watch, that like my will started turning. Can you shed some light onto this to see it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so listen, uh, parents are our first teachers, right? They're a child's first teacher before they go into school, right? Before they go into uh, preschool or elementary or, or middle school or college. Um, you cannot deny that how your parents behave or communicate doesn't uh, affect how you behave or communicate right. as a child. And so, yes, there are actually a lot of parallels like that in this film. Uh, that was one of the the more prominent ones. But yes, I'm so glad you picked up on that, Lacey. It's so cool because um, it's exactly right. So, so, so we did want, you know, Jacob to slam that 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 laptop closed <laughs> with his grandma and for Melinda, his mother, to be like, why would you do that? Seriously, Jacob, why would you do that? Right? To ask him that question because. A few scenes later, we see her do that exact same thing with her therapist. There's no yeah. way that Jacob has not witnessed his mother do this before. Yeah. Right? You teach and our children. So, yeah, and it's such a simply perfect, it's both a situation where and they're not getting what they want. They aren't getting what exactly. they want, so they shut it down. And, and that's why I pose the question, is Jacob just a product of his environment? It's, okay. I, I know. Oh, I, I love know. this debate. <laughs> It's well, no, it's definitely both, though. That's what I'm saying. It's like, hey, this dude clearly, like, if he's, you know, as a kid doing that kind of shit, but then that's she's. The thing, but that's the thing. I, it's messing with my mind. But if, she's if fucking she, with him the entire time. No, that's what I'm, no she's but, fucking but, with that's him. That's what I'm saying. Is don't I, fuck with the dude. Would who's you fucking let me kid. get my <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying, though. Is you know, you. it. I love you, but it made me think. You know, is some of the things, is she imagining that he is this bad kid? Without because, a doubt, she's, fu yeah. Because, but it. But was, she has every right to as like, well. I'm asking if she was the one who pushed him or, like, did he even kill a bird when you're sitting on that mountain? Like, I'm confused. Like, right. Like, I'm, I'm not confused, but at the same time, I just want answers. Can I say one thing, too, <laughs> about the mother, too? But she did such a fantastic job, oh by my the way, God. obviously. Yeah. Um, one thing that I appreciated, too, was that scene where she was going through the medicine cabinet. Now, as a, as a director, I appreciated that you used, like, real names of the medications and stuff like that and, you know, somewhat explanations for it or whatever. Because um, in so many instances, they get those things wrong. Like, it'll be like, hey, he's taking a Percocet. It'll be like a capsule. And it's just like that. Like, if anybody's ever fucking seen something like that, that's not what it looks like. I, I think I took a picture of my own medicine cabinet and yes. said, our director and said, hey, can you, can, you, can you replicate this? <laughs> and, but she very casually pops one of his pills as well, which is like, okay, like, hold on. She just did that for the camera. Like, does she do that often? Like, there's so many questions. And I'm like, that was kind of a, a kind of a, a thing too. Like, and it just starts again, start thinking about the mother and then everything to do with her past. And it's like, well, you, you come from such a different context. It seems like with every scene adding to it. And I know a lot of people, um, 
when this movie came out, they, uh, from some of the comments that I had seen online, they were like, that bitch chopped off her own heels and got drunk and forgot about it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man, Lacey has these heavy-hitting questions. You're asking yeah. questions that, that our biggest fans are like, but wait! <laughs> <laughs> But, but Heels on linoleum is ridiculous. No, um, see, um, I don't that's, blame. That's, right. By the way, that is from the shooter of of Sandy Hook. So his mom oh. an email oh, wow. to dad saying, "When I it was wood floors, but when I walk on my heels on the wood floor, it triggers out. It triggers my son, and he freaks out. What do I do? And so I thought, let's make this movie really true to life. Let's. It's linoleum because we don't have wood floors at this house, but. Right. When her heels hit the, that floor, it uh, triggers oh. something, an, an, an audio reaction in him. So that's actually all based in real the, the real uh, memoirs and manifestos. I did that's, not know that, but crazy. when that scene happens, that's you know, crazy. and she's showing all the shoes, I'm thinking that obviously, because for me, heels, I don't know, like I don't wear them anymore, but right. when I sit and I hear them click, I feel like I'm a woman in power. And so I thought maybe I feel that way too. I know you do. <laughs> but I mean, so that's, yeah. But, but I was just like, well, you know, maybe he doesn't like, you know, authority, um, things like that. So maybe that's why, or that that was the correlation that I was getting on first watch. Second watch, I was just like, well, maybe she did cut him off herself. Well, you know what's unfortunate about that? If he would have kept the heels, he would have uh, went full on Buffalo Bill at the end there when he was doing his thing. Hello. <laughs> that yo, <laughs> that scene was incredible, by the way. Like, oh. I, and listen, I know, like, I'm not, it, I'm not like one of those desensitized people. Like, I've watched this movie and I definitely took in all the themes or whatever. Now, on second watch, being analytical, that scene was fucking. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, I mean, it it kills me. I have one tiny anecdote about that scene, yes. which was <laughs> we were shooting that at like I don't I actually have no idea what time it was. In my mind, it's like the middle of the night. Um, and I so I'm in that whole getup. I've got the silk robe. I've got the mask. I've got the prosthetic. The whole thing. And I think we spent like maybe like 45 minutes of me like. I like did the walks around the room. I did the lip syncs. I I waltzed. I like pretended to like reopen my wound. I did like every dis <laughs> like insane horrific thing that Jacob in his like performance because that's a big thing for him is this like performing for the camera ness would do. And to see it was back in Video Village, sort of at the far end of that shot, and she was like. Okay, yeah, Bailey, like, any, like, this is, I will once again remind you, 45 minutes in, she's like, just, like, if you have anything else weird you want to do. And I was like, are you insane? Like, what do you want from me? I was like, I'm two seconds from, like, having to, like, take my clothes, like, we're, like, we're in Crazyville, like, what else can I give you? But then what did we do, Bailey? What did we do? Did I? Oh God! What did I do? We did the sequence. We did that sequence that made the cut. Oh yes. Yes. Start in that back room by by your mom's bedroom door, and just move. Go from one spot to the next, and just look at the camera one spot, and then the very end. That lip syncing thing was not in the script, you guys. (laughs) At the end, I was feeling it because Bailey was feeling it, and, and we're looking at him through you know monitors in Video Village, and I'm like. Bailey lip sync, lip sync, and I, and I was doing Melinda's voice. Actually, Melinda was on set that day, 
So I think oh, wow. he's actually lip-syncing to oh. Linda crying from the closet where she's like, help, let me out, help. And he was lip-syncing. And I was looking at it. And I remember the producer being like, are you done yet? And I was like, shh, this is magic. <laughs> no, it was, it's literally horrifying. And I, so I actually it. watched this movie before Dan did. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, all right, baby. All right. I was like, uh, it's all over the internet. We got it. I was like, you you have to watch this. And he was like, sell me on it in two sentences. I was like, a mom thinks her son is a psycho. And she does some weird shit with some uh, wire hanger around her head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, That's play, hit the button. Yeah. Hit the fucking button. That is that was my that was my little mini review. And I'm and, and That's honestly, a good log line, Lacey. That's a good I love line. that. Yeah. <laughs> Just weird shit with a wire hanger. No, you more take mommy hanger. and hanger in one sentence. You know, that's a good long line. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you just watched all those movies. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know about. Uh, I just watched uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane for the first time. I'll say this too: admitting that you don't know something about movies and like actively going back and like checking it out, like there's no shame in that. No, I didn't. I, you know, I, and it's nothing that I've had against like older films or whatever. So I didn't even know about like the Joan Crawford Betty Davis feud. Right. So I didn't even know that Mommy Dearest was based on Joan Crawford. Right. Until I watched. Oh. Uh, oh. When I get really interested, like when I really like a movie, um, I'll go back and you know see what happened on set and things like that because that's just the fan in me. Right. You know, and I was just like holy fucking shit because <laughs> as i was watching the film like you can see like there's this tension that it, it has to be more than just the movie and i had no idea and so from there i had to go and watch you know ryan murphy's uh feud with uh susan sarandon and um, ryan murphy's so extra i love him <laughs> no oh, yeah. actually uh <laughs> you know talking about school shooting um the first it took me so long to get through the very first season of American Horror Story because um, I don't have you guys seen it. That's one of the more yeah. fucking aspects I don't, of that I, season. I, I didn't. I yeah. didn't want to. Oh, yeah. I didn't that... want to spoil it if you hadn't. But I oh. couldn't. Uh, I got. I think it's episode seven, and that scene literally like fucked with me. I watched it. Like I think I watched that episode, and then I fell asleep, and I had fucking nightmares. And I mean, that show's not like really scary or anything, but that was. That was kind like of scary, a, kind of disturbing. Yeah, that first season yeah, is like that. The first season Murder is by House far is, the best, in my opinion. I but, still think it is. Totally agree. But that, yeah. that 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 fucked with me, and um, I mean that speaks volumes, in my opinion. And it took me about eight years to go back and finish it. And so. that's and that's such an artistic take on it too. And and the fact of the matter is, it, it is so horrifying because it strikes that nerve that you're striking as well with the school shootings. And it's such a kind of a normal thing now. And like you said, like I I thought of that as well, where it's like, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, you know, supposedly there's a lot of people that if you're not doing so hot, then yeah, the, 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 the pandemic's going to fucking put a lot of people over the edge. So what's that going to look like when schools start coming back? So it's just, it's such a crazy thing to try and wrap your head around. But I do think that pieces of art like that you guys made, it really does, um, at least in my eyes, you know, and, and everybody that I've talked to that is a real critic of movies, you know, it's hard 
to say something in movies without doing a straight documentary, Or just, right? like, slapping you over the head with the theme. Exactly. And this that's, one, it's, it, right. This one is so low-key. It's so real. And... It's perfect. It, it's like a progression. Yes. And, like, even that final credit scene, um, well, we're not there yet, so <laughs> I don't want to get into Yeah, we're it. not even there yet. Yeah. Hold on. But wait, hold on. <laughs> I want to ask, yes, I want to ask Macy one question, because she's bringing up some really good questions, which is... Um, you know who contributed to to Jacob being the the sociopath or psychopath that he is, and who this is the biggest question, uh, one of the top two biggest questions we get on social media, who yeah. cut off the shoes, who cut <laughs> off the high heels of those goddamn shoes in the kitchen scene, which opens the film, right? Yeah. yeah. So what do you guys think? Who who do you think did it? Ed Asner. <laughs> <laughs> on on first watch i would have said jacob for sure on second watch i think maybe jacob might have done it in the past but maybe like as a youth like even younger um but i think i don't know like my i told you yeah, it, it like she, i feel like maybe she did it because you don't actually get to see him do she's it like, That's and, this, his MO. And, this, and this is the act that you know makes her want to start filming again right right so i feel like right she's trying to she has these thoughts about her son so i as a viewer on on the second watch anyways that, i feel like she did it that's what i feel like a lot of the movie is though yeah like a lot of it's just kind of perpetuating things that yes we have proof that has happened before we're not denying that but but the question really remains is like the blame and, and and does it really matter how much blame is over here or there? Because there's a lot of shade being thrown back and forth. You know, obviously he's got issues, but obviously at the same time she's pushing him over the edge as well. And definitely not helping matters. So, like, with those combination of things, with that Mike Tyson one-two punch, it's like, like yeah, this, this is not going to end well. And at the end of the day, it's not like who's to blame. They're both to blame, and right. and and that's yes, that's that really... does happen. But in this moment, <laughs> yes, answer the question. Answer the goddamn question. <laughs> answer the question, Claire. <laughs> so, so the question is, who cut up uh, Abby's high heels in the kitchen? And yes. I, and it is up for interpretation. But, of course, the writer and director has an absolute 100% uh, uh, answer, which is need... Jacob cut up the shoes. Okay. okay. Here I am. <laughs> Jacob has, has cut up the shoes and blamed his mom and has gotten right. clips of his mom drinking and said, oh, it's her drinking. And he's slipped out of a diversion program when he had maps of his school with him standing with a gun uh, that she says, you know, these are very suspicious. And the authorities were like, yeah, but he's a good kid, right? Like, he, right. he he's doing everything right. We don't think he's that much of a concern, which is exactly what happened with a lot of these shooters. Uh, their right. moms turned them in. Most cases, they do not turn them in. I built a profile where they did turn them in because otherwise it would be, uh, we need to talk about Kevin, right? Which is a phenomenal right. drama where, you know, she knows something's wrong with her kid, but she also thinks maybe it's me. Well, I wanted to make a film where the mom starts off the film with something is wrong with my kid, not something's wrong with me, right? And then you discover throughout the 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 the, the film that she's yeah. keeping secrets and that there is potentially something wrong with her too, but she's not aware of it or in total denial of it, which is the opposite of, of when you talk about Kevin. Um, and of course, 
we realize that she's got all these secrets about Jerry, right? That that that's there's three big questions we get about this film. Who cut up the shoes? Did she do it at the end? Did she commit suicide at the end? And who WTF is Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, right. So Jerry's her brother, who of course we learn, you know, and, and, and spoilers here, but 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 you guys don't you, you always do spoilers too. Um, yes, cut to the chase. Yes. Which is that, you know, we learn midway through the film who Jerry is, or 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 maybe three fifths of the way through the film. Jerry is her brother who shot a bunch of kids and killed a bunch of kids, slaughtered them with a gun, right? And yep. so of course, is there some superimposing of her psychotic, you know, breakdown? on her son. Yes, all of these things come into factor and all of these things are actually have merit, you know, actually have some truth in some of these shooters. Um, what what we wanted to, what I wanted to do uh, was create this character who in the beginning, we think Jacob's a shithead, right? We think Jacob is yeah. gonna shoot up his school, he's a bad kid, this poor single mom, oh my God. And then we start to introduce as the acts continue some of mom's, uh, 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 you know, some, some of the skeletons in her closet. And then it becomes, okay, well, is mom, so I love Lacey's questions because, yeah, you're right, is mom influencing that? Okay, so she's been filming him now since he was a kid. Is she influencing his behavior? Absolutely. We all influence each other's behavior, right? Right. Yep, yep. And then, and then there's that big question, nature versus, versus nurture, and I think, uh, you know, there is no big answer of is it one or the other. I think it's very much to do with both, right? Um, I think as a country, unfortunately, we are unable to nurture our kids in a in a productive, evolved um, way, and unfortunately, there's consequences for that. You don't get to see her nurture him in the film at all, right? And so that's where you know I was having. He like, puts the blanket on her. Yeah, like you see him more like taking care of her in a sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, she's she's literally trying to provoke him. She takes his PlayStation away, you know, and she knows how he's going to react, but it just feels like she's come to a point to where she wants to get this reaction out of him. Right. And that's how it really feels. The presence and, of the cameras um, means something. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I feel like she was, you know, provoking him. Like she's yeah. asking him those questions and can, all right, I got to know, did he kill the bird? When you're writing it. <laughs> well, th- that scene was not in the original screenplay. Well, he went back. Did he kill the bird? <laughs> in my mind, yeah, he did. He's, yeah. he's okay. got okay. issues. So, yeah. He's got some issues, but so does mom. <laughs> so it's always been there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Obviously. So he, he does have psychopathic tendencies. But see. Yeah. <clears throat> I think okay. so. Sorry, just to slide in where I've just because I, you know, I love to think about this stuff and even just <laughs> thinking about this idea of parents modeling behavior mm-hmm. there is such weird beautiful parallel and duality again in this film where like sort of like as you guys were talking about earlier you know we have these moments where abby's provoking behavior or trying to get this rise out of him in a certain way and we get these moments where she looks to camera and she like makes a nod to the camera yep. or says something specifically about like what just happened um, like when the phone breaks and she's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And <laughs> what's so interesting to me is that, and this point comes up all the time is that, and you guys made it too, like these two need to have a conversation. They need yeah. to actually speak to each other. They act, and that, that's what you're sitting there watching, like being like, why just please just talk to each other with therapists. Like, just like stop like playing these games around each other. 
And one of my favorite things is the fact that like in the first half versus the second half, you're watching the same game basically be played out, which is I'm going to prove that you're crazy. And right. I'm going to capture the whatever the video evidence is that I need to make sure that I'm okay and you're you're the bad one. Right. And so whether that's Jacob being like, my mom was drunk and the what his the video he's making for the detective. In the beginning, he's already playing that game. But that's because they are different, but also exactly the same. Right. The ways in which they both approach the situation ends up yeah. being crazy similar and i think you know to this idea of jerry and genetics and whatever that's also just like family heritage like what you how you learn how to deal with any given problem if if jacob has lived his whole life with his mom trying to prove that he's capable of terrible terrible violence that's all he knows is that recording a, a person you love to prove to somebody else that they're they're the danger and you're not yeah, I mean, there were no happy times between these two, <clears throat> shown at least. Um, I, I, I do feel like there were some remorseful uh, things on his side in terms of, you know, obviously towards the end, too, he's like, you know, talking to her saying, I wasn't really going to do it and stuff like that. But then again, like you said, upon second watch, too, I'm like, well, I wonder if he knows that this footage is going to be watched. <laughs> so he's kind of just saying that to be on the contrary of it as well so you can look at it both ways and that's what i love about this film as well you know through the whole thing it's not only entertaining but it it definitely hits home and i think with a lot of americans and it's indicative of many household relationships like i said earlier in the show it's an important film to a certain extent depending on obviously the family like i've never but like you know even this morning on my birthday you know (laughs) i mean i feel like a complete dickhead but like i worked the night shift and i was you know i got home and i just wanted to completely crash and lacy was like hey I made you this thing, and I was just like, no, not now. Like, whatever. But I stayed up all night making this. (laughs) And she was like, no. She's like, fuck you. And I was like, oh, shit. So, like, I I did sleep, and then I woke up, and we just started again, you know? And she was like, hi, baby. She's like, I was like, I am so ready. I'm sorry. Like, let's let's start again. And communication is so key. And, And I also can understand, though, from the other side of it where you know, people aren't <laughs> like us and we generally get along and we can start over. You know, some relationships um, have such, you know, rooted histories mm. with, with anger and so many things behind it that it's hard to get over those things. You can't just, hey, just chill out and I'll wake up in a few hours and let's whatever, Reset. you know. Yeah, it's, it's tough to even get to that point of talking. But I think that with professional help, like, exactly. like that can be bridged for sure. And I think exactly. that if she put half the effort into actually getting, like, you know, like, hey, Having- call up Ed Asner, have him on speed dial, like <laughs> that, like do something as opposed to what you're doing because what you're doing is not only detrimental to his mental health, but you're probably gonna escalate it to the point where it ends up shit's gonna, yeah, you're gonna have fucking wire around N- your head. Now I kind of want to get into that, the the end scene of. I uh, love that ending, yo. That 
When, yeah. Well, I, I got to ask you, Bailey, how <laughs> that, was it filming your death scene? That was a, that was a big day. <laughs> um, I had never done like stunts like that before. I had never, you know, like it was to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but we ended up shooting, I think, the entire uh, Abby electrocuting herself, Jacob running out, trying to open the door, him, you know, like all of his panic, the fire, all of that happened all the way up to me getting killed we shot all in one day and so that I, I just remember it so vividly because we like broke for lunch and I like lay down on the <laughs> crash pad and just like took a nap because I had been like right. running around having a panic attack about my mom being dead in a closet and um so the that part and that for the record like, Bailey took a lot of naps on set <laughs> I did take a lot of naps on that. He took a nap while the prosthetic was being put uh -huh. on his chest. He put a nap while the yeah. blood was being put on his arms. I mean, I, he slept yeah. a lot. We have a lot of pictures to prove it. A lot, of, a lot of footage of that. There's a lot of evidence of that. Um, I, um, I don't drink coffee, so I need to sleep. Um, and I can sleep anywhere. But um, I do. I still need naps. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was probably one of obviously one of the more intense days on set and um but that being said I you know there was an amazing group of people there who made sure I didn't hurt myself and I you know was able to go through the in insanity sort of meltdown panic attack of leading up to the actual stabbing how mm -hmm. long was she in the closet like filming <laughs> like well, it's a good question, and and the only way to keep track. So first of all, if you're if you haven't had food or water for more than like 72 hours, you kind of die. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's under 72 hours. If you pay attention to the to the clock on the security cameras, you can actually tell. But we don't want people to tell unless they really have to know. It's there if they really. No, don't. I mean when you but, guys are filming it, how long was she actually in the closet? Did she just do it for that scene or was she in there for a while? Oh, no. oh we were there for weeks, man. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot, a lot of time in the closet. And, and hey, I got to tell you guys something. There's something very interesting about that house, which is uh, we looked at a lot of houses and they didn't match my my vision of, of how I saw it. And the producers did a very good job of telling me, well, sometimes your vision may not be realistic, which is true. Um, so, we had to, you know, Melinda and Bailey did all of their own stunts. And at one wow. point in the film, spoiler alert, but at one point in the film, uh, Melinda lunges out of the closet and attacks her son and he giggles and dies. Um, <laughs> giggles and dies. <laughs> giggles and dies. And the closet that we had been filming in, uh, which is a different room in the house, uh, was not big enough for her to lunge out of. It looked very awkward. So we had to, we, we took uh, a week and a half of downtime in the middle of the shoot. We, we had practiced ahead of time. We had, to, so Jacob's room is Abby's room. We just switched the closets, we switched the windows, and we switched the exit and entrance door. It's oh. the same room because it was the only room in this house that we had in Long Beach where Melinda had enough room to launch herself out of the closet to attack him with that knife. Um, so we had to, uh, it was another, you know, repainting party where to repaint everything and move doors and stuff. <laughs> but yes, it was a, uh, when, when no one has ever caught on to that, except for one art director who worked for me on a different show was like, was that the same room with the, with the uh, entrance in a different place? And I'm like, nope. 
I couldn't give her the credit, but yes, it was. It's the completely exact same room. Now, there, there's a line that Jacob says as he's dying, and it, this was the part that I think I, the, the, my burning question, I guess, is when he says, you were the baby with the knife. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah. Well, earlier in the film, you know, she talks to, Abby talks to her, her, her childhood psychiatrist, who, of course, is a dinosaur, very old. But by the way, we, we partnered with multiple mental health organizations who not only vetted the script, because I was terrified that we would somehow glorify or sensationalize the subject matter and inspire copycats. Um, so we had we partnered with several mental health organizations who helped who helped me make sure we were authentic to the message. And so they not only vetted the script, they were also on set. They also contributed to the casting. And one of the things they said was, when you cast uh, Dr. Arden, who is of course the family therapist in the film, can you make him really old? Uh, because there's a lot of old philosophies that people still, uh, you know, uh, uh, adopt and and practice, which are, are based on philosophy, are not based on listening, are not based on what is this right. person telling me about their lives right now. And yeah. so I was like, yeah, so when the producer said to me, uh, we, we were going for Christopher Walken. I mean, <laughs> let me say the investors were going for Christopher Walken, who read the script and liked it very much, but he was booked, apparently. Uh and then they said, what about Ed Asner? And my first question was, which is, of course, the first question we get on all, a lot of our social media platforms is, is Ed Asner still alive? <laughs> yeah. This, oh guy, my God. this guy's almost 90. And so I remember when I, when, I called the, when I called NAMI, which is one of our mental health organizations, and I said, is 90 good enough? And they were like, 90 is perfect. <laughs> oh, no, I, I swear, honestly, when we, <laughs> when we were watching it, uh, <laughs> I was not going to bring this up, but since you said that, Lacey Lou goes, <laughs> she oh, goes, oh, Ed Asner, yeah, he died like a couple months ago. I'm like, what? No, no, that's because I listened to. You were like, you told me Ed Asner. I was like, Ed Asner's not dead. I was like devastated. No. Every few months. I had to, I had to Ed Asner died. And the last film he worked on was Mom. And I'm like, I check in with his sister, with his daughter and I'm like. How's your dad? And she's like, he's doing great. He's in quarantine. And I'm like, Ed Asner is not dead, you guys. <laughs> no, I, I listened briefly. You, you listened to the full Phil interview. I, I was like, I, there's no way. He's, was, he's coming they, up. They did say it in that interview. It was dark discussions where they said, oh, it's so sad that Asner's dead. And I was like, yeah. no. And then that's what I, was like, no. I was like, Phil says he's dead. No. The next season... <laughs> The next season of Cobra Kai, or maybe the one following it, in my eyes, is dependent on his character. I feel like he's going to give Johnny Lawrence the money to fund and get Cobra Kai back. That's what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Ed Astor is such a character. He's like old Hollywood. Yeah. He's like, he's I, I, alive. He's, oh, he's oh a, I'll say. <laughs> he's amazing no and, and that's and and you know that's one thing about the movie too where i joke like hey that's ed asner but he did such a great job and i feel like it, it's not only a different perspective but i feel like we all became friends tonight you know i agree i agree i have you absolutely know, so i don't think we ever would have booked ed asner except that ed asner uh of course everyone <laughs> knows from the from the mary tyler moore show is he, his son is autistic, and so they have the Ed Asner Family Center. So when he read the script, we actually did. I didn't mean to put it in his hands. I guess it was the same agent as um, as Christopher Walken. 
he connected with it because it was about mental health awareness. Uh, and so that's so then the agent got back to us and said, you know, Christopher Walken's busy, but what about Ed Asner? Um, because it was in his, you know, it, it, it to him the the script spoke to him. You know? <laughs> so Ed Asner was a consolation. They're like, hey, sorry, Walken's busy, but we got <laughs> they, this guy you've never heard of. They offered some other people, but I think <laughs> I think I think my response was, Ed, he's still alive. That's amazing. Yes, we should absolutely use him. Our, our our mental health organizations are asking us to use older therapists who have older dinosaur theories. And this would be perfect. How old is he? Is he 80? And they're like, he's 90. And I'm like, fuck, 90? Well, like, whoa. And, and and I gotta be honest with you, too, because this has gotta be one of the most talked about movies, you know, especially in the horror genre. Especially... Yeah, especially more that, you know, it is able to stream. It's on Tubi. It's on Pluto. Yeah, everybody, you know, yeah, get, it, it's watch this accessible, movie. It's widely accessible, and I see people talk about it, and even more so buy it now you know buy this movie <laughs> no it's it, it really is good because i i think that uh you know we see a lot of movies within the genre and you know they are slashers and like we all said like hey those are great to watch like we all love that type of stuff but at the same time movies like this it, it really does elevate the genre in a way too and make everything look better in a way because it's shedding a light on things. It's bringing real life issues into it and, you know, making the correlation that, yeah, like real life horror does, you know, mirror the stuff that happens in movies. And, and, and I thought that this movie was such an accurate depiction of it. And to get that right, I, I can't imagine how hard that has to be when you're going for authenticity and I, I feel like we, we watch a lot of it. And I, I also wanted to ask you guys, too, what do you guys think of the unfriendeds, of the uh, of the missings, you know, and and how the genre is kind of changing and, and moving well, to... COVID's even changed it. And, and like this film as well, obviously. Um, you know, how, how do you feel like the genre is kind of evolving? And do you like it? And do you prefer certain aspects of it? I, I love any film... <clears throat> that uh, touches me uh, in any way. And yeah. I think Unfriended actually did a really good job. And of course, as we all know, Ho I think Host was one, was Host one of your top picks for 2020? Host was that. fucking amazing. It was amazing, right? And it's they shot that so during COVID and it was all found footage. And it also gave a big boost to like found footage films because of course found footage films go through this, 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 the ups and downs of like, oh, it's done. And I have to say, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Blair Witch either. However, they did it did parent uh, it did pioneer a subgenre of, of of the found footage film. So I cannot complain. I can only I can only uh, uh, look to them as pioneers. Host was I thought incredible. Most there's a big number of people that do not think that found footage films are real films, which is truly truly uh, uh, saddening to me. Um, who, wait, who are these people? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> like, 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 Dan, Lacey, we're, we're in the horror circuit, so so we don't know right. about these people. But if you go to IMDb and you look at <sighs> found footage films, even our film, the amount of negative reviews on IMDb, and they're like, this is, what is this film? It's a wannabe documentary horror. It's not even a real wow. film. And, and it's truly extraordinary the amount of ignorance that goes into people who actually take the time to write a one sentence without proper punctuation. 
Review. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so we talked about this briefly earlier. Um, I just recently had to watch all seven Paranormal Activity films. Okay. And yes, there is seven. There's a one that was from Tokyo. Um, <laughs> for Sorry those to hear listeners, that. But I, I had to do this for podcast prep. And my history is the first Paranormal Activity freaked me out to my core. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it triggered my sleep paralysis. Only several movies have done that, and that was one of them. The Kipsy Tapes is another one. Yeah. But um, no, so we talked. So Dan watched a few of those with me um, as I was prepping, and we get to part two, and he was like, "Well, shit, that's the bitch from 24." I was like, "I I can't get into this." I was like, "No." <laughs> I was like, she plays the president's daughter on 24. I'm like, this isn't working for me. Like, completely just took it, took me right out of it. And that's why, you know, as you were saying, it is so important. And I wouldn't, I, I don't like the term no name because I feel like. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I, yeah, I, I like the term yeah, unknown. We know you what know? you're saying. Yeah. yeah like, I, feel I, I feel like that's, feel you. you know, kind of degrading in a sense. So. Right. Um. I, I think it was really smart to, you know, want to go in that direction for sure. Oh, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so paranormal movies, um, found footage. I feel like some people just don't get it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that that was a big part of it. Well, and it's also used in so many different ways now, though. And and that's what I mean. How this film factors into it is is pretty new in a sense where it the subject matter. You know, it's not going for jump scares here you know what i mean obviously um it's it's more of obviously a character piece or characters piece <laughs> and and it and it works so well and it's so effective because of the way it's shot and not for the ways that your paranormal activities and other found footage movies are kind of not only known for but those movies are effective with in what they do within the genre for what they do in the genre, you know, but I feel like this is adding to it in a way where it's adding a depth uh, to it. And, and, you know, and thank you, baby. (laughs) And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's one of those things that I really appreciate. And like, I'm so happy that we got, that we got you guys on tonight because honestly, like I love not only talking movies uh, with my friends, but getting to talk to the people that actually are are the creators of it. And, Honestly, you guys are so fucking cool and so awesome that, like, it's, no, it's inspiring in a lot of ways because as podcasters, like, who the fuck are we? All, we just sit here and review What movies. do you mean? I'm Lacey Lou. Yeah, you are. Come on. Lacey Lou. Hello. I know. <laughs> no, and I would be remiss if I didn't actually ask. I have two questions left. Um, every day. Every day. Yes, I'm Lacey motherfucking Lou. Um, <laughs> Don't you forget it, Dan Chase. Even on my birthday. D-double-C. <laughs> um, no, I have... No, it's been so much fun that I haven't even uh, asked... Like, th- I have, like, a basic, like, regular outline of questions that I do for interviewing. We threw that out a long time you know. ago, baby. <laughs> oh, when I That's do it, Well, when I window. do them for, like, pop horror, I kind of just, like, have, like, a set of ten and then kind of, like, filter in, like, to make it right. for the person... But there are questions, there are two questions that I really like to ask just because it's my genuine, genuine curiosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one being, do you have any like fun, like uh, behind the scenes or like blooper moments that you can talk about? I'm going to let Bailey answer that. 
<laughs> which yeah i'm trying to think of a good one um there's the rat there's the there's the show tunes i mean come on Bailey. yeah i mean there's yeah i mean i'm I think we talked about the rat on a different podcast, so I think I'll start with the show tunes. Because that one honestly feel like, in retrospect, feels, like, even more deranged, um, which is uh, Melinda and I just have this tendency to start, like, breaking into show tunes, sometimes, like, with our lines in between setups. And this also, like, because we did shoot this movie, like, relatively in chronological order, so, like, this was really hitting its peak right when Abby is like tie- like duct taped to a chair and I'm like a, like <laughs> wearing like skin tight clothing and like a <laughs> gas mask and have a taser. And then like we're resetting between takes as she's still duct taped to the chair singing our way through West Side Story. <laughs> so that was good. That was great. I, but I have to tell you guys. I think that also. Like, I'm going to add to that, Bailey, just because there's nothing like being in Video Village where there's. So this is the peak. This is where she's being tasered. She's pissing the floor. He's a psychopath now. Like we thought he was going to maybe be a cool kid and now he's totally not. And now you're like, who do I root for? This is fucking with my head. And then we're like, cut. And all of a sudden the two of them who are, who are theatrical Broadway performers start singing show tunes. And also they, they plug in names. So for Maria, Maria, they plug in to Sia, to Sia. Full on show. I can't hear them because my head is in like, oh my god, did the did were we able to see that urine trickle up beneath the chair? Was that camera (laughs) position? And my producers are saying, Tasia, listen, listen, listen to the mics because we all we all have headsets, you know, IFBs on. And I listen. They're like, Tasia, Tasia, and of course their voices are phenomenal. And I'm like, they're singing. (laughs) And at first I'm irritated because I'm like, we don't have time for show tunes. And then I actually listen to them and I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. (laughs) All right, go on, Ben. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had, I did have to add that. No, but I mean, just to the all, you know, like a lot of the questions we get about this and anyone who sees this movie, they're like, how did you do this? It's so dark. It's so like, so fucked up like you're throwing rats around there's debt like there's like all it's dark 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 you're having to say all these horrific things etc etc but that breaking into song like that is what makes it so i think back on my time on the set and it is all like love and light and laughter (laughs) the product is dark (laughs) insanity right was like it was so much joy all the time and I yeah I've never you know I've never had that much fun on a set before. That's, That's awesome. awesome, dude. That's yeah great. we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to give a shout out to Melinda for that because well, I think she inspired that she's so used to being on on high profile sets that she's just super comfortable <laughs> with her skin she's super comfortable being herself and I think she just inspired everyone around them to be cool. I mean literally you guys they would go from being psychopaths to like. <laughs> smiling and, sh- and singing show tunes and I was like are they going to be able to get back into their characters and my producers were like right. I mean they have before <laughs> <laughs> well and, and also too as a viewer I will say this that before you guys even just saying that um I was actually going to mention this early on in the show but as a viewer watching it you do get that sense where, you know, you know, you ever watch a movie and you just like, you can feel like, 
oh yeah you know that that production was was on point like that was well, a co- like what i was saying with whatever happened to baby jane you could feel that there was offset tension you get right and, it's, and i had no idea like and it's it very was a big thing and i didn't know about it so but you watch it within that context yeah, no, absolutely so yeah with this it just i don't know it just felt so the chemistry was right yeah and, and you could feel it despite what you like like and even what you said you know the dark material and all that I get exactly what you're saying, but I felt like it came through more as a viewer because as a viewer, I felt comfortable in the hands of the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, like you weren't going to be disappointed with the outcome. Without a doubt. Like I, well, I, mean, I was as sad as it is. I but... was on this journey, but I was completely complicit in it because this feels real and authentic and, and I'm completely down uh, with it. You know what? I just realized she never answered if she killed herself. Oh. Lacey's like, I'm going back to my outline here because we've got... Oh, no, 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 we're going back to the basic questions, No, that's not a basic question, that's a general... Well, what, you know I'm going to ask you, you know, Lacey, I'm going to ask you what you you think happened. Oh, please tell. Um, well, if you didn't have, I feel... See, and this is why the movie messes with me, and that's why you kind of mess with me when you tell me that he did do all these things, because... The end where, you know, the other mother is, you know, watching the video and her son comes in. Like, the very, very end, right? What is the implication of that? That's the main question. And I feel like, God, like, in a sense, like, yes, maybe Jacob was a psychopath. But at the same time, Melinda Melinda or, uh, you know, Abby kind of wanted to be infamous as well. I don't know. Right. Like, she's a psychopath. So I don't think that... You know, it so Jacob actually didn't want his mother to die, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I mm-hmm. never wanted you to do that. And you could really see that, like, he's starting to lose his shit when he thinks that after she wraps wire around her head, <laughs> <And died. laughs> that's a scene that sticks with you, though. It really is, right? And so, touche on that. Turn the camera off, turn the camera on, say your lie. It's like, oh that, my God. That, that repeated in my head for a little bit, too. And, I, and I'll say this, too, in terms of, like, dialogue in movies. Like, stuff like that gets under my skin. And I'll, and I'll say this, man, like, there were some creepy-ass moments emotional in this warfare. movie. Without, yeah. like, hardcore. Hardcore. And, and I, I just love, though, the realism of it. And again, at the ending, um, I'm not gonna lie. I've heard. Do you think she did or did it? I know, like I've heard you answered on another podcast. Oh, well, that's so. not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little have, fucker. Oh my god, say? you should be answering. Wait. I spoil everything. No. Literally everything. I will tell you the ending of something like in cryptic ways, but like you won't even oh, know. Oh, he does spoil like fucking everything. everything. But I've seen the movie, so I, I love I interpreting. I can't be trusted. No, this is why I love these kinds of movies, though, is because it does leave you up to your own devices, but at the same time, like I know you have a set fucking answer. So, right. um, <laughs> you know, my theories and everything, is it's fun, but. Put me out of my misery. <laughs> well, but, 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 Lacey, do you think she did or didn't? She, she committed suicide? She, so listen, so, so all the listeners know, earlier in the film, there's a bunch of monologues about how she had this recurring dream, how she was standing on a stool in the middle of the living room with a noose around her neck, and Jacob's giggling. 
and she doesn't know where the stream's coming from. So at the end of the film, it all comes to fruition and she's standing there and there's a noose and a step stool and she has the opportunity to do exactly what in the dreams she feared to do. And we leave it with the viewer. Did she do it or did she did, did she not do it? But Lacey, uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you feel she did? And you uh, saw it twice, right? So people think one thing on the first viewing, but you saw it twice. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, she's wearing these gloves. She's kind of like, I, I don't know. I feel like she's kind of a little bit of a coward, even though she didn't just like maim her son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she's kind of a coward. So I don't think that she, like, I think maybe she thought she could do it, but right. I don't think ultimate, because yeah. I mean, she called the cops yeah. and she says, you know, I, I just killed my son. Just watch the tapes. And then, you know, she watches the video and, like, doesn't even, like, finish, like, him saying, I'm sorry. Um, she cuts mm-hmm. it. Says, I'm sorry. And then she stops it. And she just Oh, Lacey's good. Bailey, how good yeah. is she? Good. You re- you're you're really getting all the new ones. Yeah. This is why I came to Iowa. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> like, Cape Cod is beautiful, but Lacey Lou is a million times more beautiful. And she's and this is what we're called the snuggle fucks. Yeah, that's a snuggle fucker. <laughs> that's that's uh, a snuggle fuck move right there. Like, you're 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 right on. And if you so in the first view, uh, first of all, a lot of people. What's so interesting about this film is a lot of people on the first on the first time they see it, they, they root for, um, uh, believe it or not, Jacob. In see, the I had second, the opposite reaction. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's. I love it. I love that people are all over the place on this. Perfect. It's exactly what we wanted. On the second yeah. view, I mean, a lot of people root for uh, Abby on the second view. Regardless of who you root for, we did try to put a lot of audio cues in there. And I have to say, one of my pet peeves of watching movies is, is at the end, if there's no ending, if it's like, we're going to leave this totally up to you. It, it is not that. If you do pay attention to the end, I think you're right, Lacey, you do hear, you know, she, she, so spoiler alert, you guys, but she gets this moment where she's like, listen, she calls 911. I killed my son. Uh, it's all in the videos. Watch it. She goes into the living room where Jacob has set up perfectly this noose and a step stool. And she looks up at it. And I have to tell you, we did not plan to end this movie on this scene. We had another scene that we were going to do with Gloria Allred, which did, didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> but she looks up into the noose. And it was such this incredibly moving moment. We were all in Video Village looking at it. And I remember the the AD was like, hey, T, do you want to cut? Do you want to cut? And I'm like, no, no, no. Fuck no. Fuck no. Fuck no. Like, <laughs> she's in this shit. Like, 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 don't, like, like don't, don't. Just. <laughs> so we just let her look up into this camera, which was not the original ending of the film. But she looked up into it so powerfully and so presently that that, therefore, you know, became the ending of the film because it was better than anything I had written. Um, and we did leave it up to the audience. However, if you absolutely have to know and, and you know, you're not necessarily listening to all the audio cues, you do hear the the police, uh, the siren get closer and closer and closer to the point yes. where right when the credits end, the police siren is right there and she has not moved. She has not reached up or stepped up on the step stool. So in my opinion, and I... It still is up to the viewer, but for those people who have to know, well, what did the director want? What did the director think? No, she did not commit suicide because of exactly what Lacey said. 
she's a coward. She still thinks it's her son's fault. Right, right. So no, she couldn't couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. There's no fluctuation. If you look at Melinda's eyes, which I thought was perfection in acting, she doesn't fluctuate. what, What she is thinking and feeling, should I do it, should I not do it, does not fluctuate. She's deadpan. And yeah. dad, the, the eyes, like I said, you yeah, know, there were moments, you know, Bailey, when you had the same look and yeah. then, <laughs> yeah. And she mirrored that so amazingly yeah. in, in those final moments. And, you know, when she's calling the police and she's got the blood on her face and then she comes out and looks at the noose and God, I'm getting chills. But, yeah, that last <laughs> shot, I had to go make some chicken nuggets during that no. shot. He was like, he's like, I can't, I can't this look at it. This is a little no. much. <laughs> Did you no, watch more than once, Dad? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's deadening, too. Like, she's just, sta- like, you're absolutely right. There's no fluctuation whatsoever in, in that dead stare. And it's just, honestly, too, it's, it's one of those things where, <clears throat> you know, what, you want to talk about the horror genre, what constitutes creepy that that's real that's fucking creepy right there to me right right well guys i have one more lacy lou review interview question and it's what i've been told is the hardest question that i ever asked are you gonna drop the bomb what do you mean do it (laughs) all right ask us for like our astrological signs are you no, I mean, social security, please. Social security numbers starting with you, baby. So I can call you and tell you that your car warranty is about to expire. Oh, perfect. Thank God. I need a couple more of those in my life. No, one of our favorite things in life are, are people that try and uh, scam us. Like, oh, we, we'll we have so. Back. Oh, they uh, have no Dan, idea. Dan has a pseudo character, and it's uh, William or. Oh, uh, oh! This is uh, Walter P. Phillips. Yes. Excuse me. This is Walter P. Phillips, and I'd like to ask for your manager because I don't think you're being professional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever is calling to try to sell us or scam us anything. <laughs> if Walter comes out, you're fucked. <laughs> it's over. Walter, Walter, in general, is a suspicious name. Mm. Well, <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, well, then he goes like straight <laughs> Smeagol on their ass, and he's like. Well, no, and then if guys message me in my inbox, he will literally just take my phone and voice record. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're <laughs> going to get the business. And, and, and just oh, like, my God. Oh, just, like, I have a blast. I enjoy my life. He does. <laughs> 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 All right, so I know Tosia is a horror fan, uh, big into those movies. I don't know if Bailey is. We haven't. Yeah, really I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So. One of my questions that I ask everybody is, what is your favorite horror film? Okay, she has to go first, because this one's a killer for me. And I know she has one <laughs> off the top of her head. It's the hardest one. So I, I do go through phases. What I have to look at when, when I'm asked what is my favorite horror film is, what at one point in watching horror films was I like, OMG, WTF. And I would have to say that that was for the the 2008 Swedish version, the original version of Let the Right One In. <gasps> That's not fair. You can't take mine. No. Is that yours? Yes, of course. I'm Swedish, Tutu. You are? <laughs> you just gave everyone a... my nickname. <laughs> see, I haven't seen... I just watched um, the American version 
last year for the first time. With 13 Reasons Why. Yeah, yeah. Dylan Aminti, who, yeah. oh my god, he's amazing. But, uh, he gets his head fucking ripped off. But, um, Spoiler. Well, they fucking seen the movie. Oh. But really, it's the same answer. <laughs> well, I, that's always my first one. I have a, I have a backup one, too. But I'm going to change mine then. I didn't know that was your answer. That's well, my, I also, my, my, this friend of mine, Rasmus, is in Let the Right One In. Like, it's like, it's, I have a very special place in my heart for it. We'll have a whole conversation about this after, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, then. Baby, have you ever seen um, Martyrs? By oh, Pascal, my God. Pascal uh, Logie? No, I have not. Oh, my God, you have to see that tonight. Okay, tonight, then I will. No, not Bailey. What else am I doing? Bailey, go. If you haven't seen Incident in a Ghostland, definitely highly. It's by the same director. Highly recommend that film. Had I seen Hmm. it the given year that it uh, came out, it would have definitely been at the top of the list. Now, hey, I got a question. Uh, uh, Tusia, you said you listened to our um, top 10 show. Now, I got a question for you. Did you agree with our number one uh, being Promising Young Woman? You know, I, I actually wrote that down on my list because I hadn't seen it. I agreed. So you guys liked Invisible Man, which was incredible. And I agreed about that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think anything was going to dethrone that. Um, oh, you amazing. Know, well, it was one of the last theater experiences that we got to have. See, and, this is a tough thing. But it's it like, wasn't just that, though. Right. And it, it makes me so mad when people sit there and say, oh, it's a Me Too movement movie. Like, okay. Invisible if, Man you're talking about. Right, yeah. yes, yes, I'm like, sorry. If, I totally agree with you. If, if you're sitting there saying that it's just a Me Too movement movie, you totally missed the fucking point of the movie. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> what, like, Lee Winnell is amazing. Yes. And he didn't intend for that to happen. Right. You know, but that's like, what yeah, the... you can correlate it to it, yes. But the movie was so much bigger than just, you know... Being part of a movement. I think the movie represents what the what the movement tries to be, but it gets convoluted by a lot of people's nonsense. Yeah, they they just want to see it for. They're like, oh, this movie is only made because it's this is a prominent theme right now. But that's a perfect example and, of but it. What does it I matter think. even if it was? And they speak to it like it's negative, and it pisses me off. I totally it was incredible, agree. but yeah, the the one that yeah it uh but yeah, promising young woman definitely dethroned it for sure. And oh, I ch- loved Promising Young Woman. Oh, oh my God, yes. Carrie Mulligan. Um, Mulligan is out of control. I actually have an insane piece of analysis information about that movie. Oh, it, drop it right it, now. Okay. Okay, so I this is I was obsessed with this movie and one the thing that really obsessed me with it, I come from like a theater world, a classical theater world and I don't know if you guys have read anything about this, but have you guys looked into like the specificity of the names of both Cassie and Nina? No. Okay. So quick, quick, quick. So Nina's the less interesting one. But Nina, so Nina is like, Nina is a character in Chekhov's The Seagull. She's like the tragic act, like tragic, um, like female heroine who like falls from grace in this sort of way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Heartbreaking. She represents the seagull. Whole shebang. Classic reference, which we got right away. I was like, okay, great. But what's more <laughs> insane? I love him. Is um, Cassie, short for Cassandra, which is so clearly a retelling and reference of classical, like Trojan Cassandra. 
Oh, who like in Scream 2? Wow, did we Yeah, literally. Yes. Literally. Woo! <laughs> and who I've never, I just like, you always see people like reference Shakespeare or whatever, or rec- reference Chekhov, but to go all the way back to like something as classical as Cassandra, who, wow. if you don't know, was a, like an apostle of Apollo who refused to have sex with him, who he raped because he ref- she refused him. And then he cursed her to forever be able to speak the truth and see the future, but no one would believe her. So Cassandra is the one oh who's running around Troy being like, there's a bunch of Greeks inside of this wooden horse and no one believes her. And so she, and so then you have this character of Cassie, Cassandra, who wow. is telling the truth and no one will listen to her right. and no one will listen to her. And even more insanely is that Cassandra ultimately is taken by Agamemnon back to Greece where she knows that she will, her death and her coming back to Greece with him, with him will ensure that he is also killed much like the end of Promising Young Woman. By her death, she knows she will undo this man. And it's, I was just like, I could not believe that this director had fully gone for a full-blown retelling of a Cassandra, the Cassandra myth, which is not necessary in, you know, in Greek times, it's prophecy in present day moment. It's knowing the way in which people will act, knowing how these men will behave. And now I'm just thinking about uh, Nev Campbell in Scream 2 when she goes, what was the line? Her fate was sealed or something. Was that the line? <laughs> yeah. Wait, isn't it Scream 3? No, it's Scream 2. Now oh, his dreadful eyes are set, set on me. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. No, because Scream, like, yeah. three, Scream but, 3 has no. Parker Posey, my queen. <laughs> <laughs> Scream 2 is amazing, by the way. Oh, I'm God. So to Scream 5. But yeah, that's the same thing, because that's the Cassandra. Yes. So I had no idea. Isn't that no, crazy? No, I didn't correlate that at all. And it was... How relevant it is, though, today? Like, that's wild. And that's the genius of it. Yeah, and it's... I was like, that that's... Was, yeah, that, that was an amazing uh, breakdown, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that Honestly, was Yeah, you're welcome. Well, that's great. just... I really have been thinking about a lot. And it's the that most... It's like... It's... Yeah, I don't know. It's just like to go... To talk about rape and sexual assault, you... Like, to go all the way back to, like, the the real grit in Western canon of like where we start talking about rape. It's like same thing. Smart, 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 smarty lady who made that movie. Uh, She's they're actually, that movie is actually nominated for uh, best picture for the Emmy awards. All the awards, which is, I think that, that, I think that that airs tomorrow. We might have to go to a bar and go watch the Emmy awards tomorrow. We don't have, we don't have cable. We do like all these streaming shit, but we don't have cable. Fuck cable. So, we might have to watch that. Tomorrow. I, 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 like I, the only reason I would get cable is for like A and E intervention. No, that's not true. You like watching the <laughs> uh, listen uh, intervention Celtics and uh, <laughs> and like not the news. And I'll say this too. One one of the things that I, I can't say you know I, I I can't say that this is what you were going for. But one thing that me personally I picked up on in this movie as well is the news was on. Um, in the background in several scenes with the mother and I don't know for me personally I've always been I'm definitely informed and I definitely have you know opinions on things oh, on social media definitely but I can't do the news I just can't do it like I, I, I'll i get it in written form like I'll go to whatever 
whatever websites, but I can't watch it. And for me, and I, I really hope that I don't offend anybody here because this, this often does offend people. But like, people that watch the news a lot, which I kind of sort of equated to this character, is indicative of a certain type of person, a very neurotic kind of like something that somebody would get upset about things that they can't necessarily control on a daily basis due to what they're being told. Well, my ex-husband watched the news every day and he was a fucking... There you go! Perfect example! Like, like, honestly, so I don't know, I just, that's one thing that kind of, I was like, yeah, that's that's that type of person. Um, For me anyways, as a viewer. So yeah, no. when we were writing, the, when I was writing the script, I, so, so the, the, the Charlottesville riot, which I think is what you're referring to, that comes out of the television, yes. Um, yes. the news and the television. So that was in 2017. And so in my, at the time I was writing the script in 2017, we shot it in 2018. Uh, and I was like, we have to put this news clip. It, it affected me so, so personally when I saw it in the news. Well, then every friggin' movie and news channel ran with that broadcast, but I already had it in the script. So, right. so one secret to the filming is that we re-recorded many of the same lines from that reporter from the Charlottesville riot, but that's actually my voice. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, cool. Nice. Because we couldn't afford to pay for the actual news. <laughs> news. At, at that cool. point, that, that news clip had gone friggin' viral and everyone was using it. And I was like, crap, man, we better friggin' record this ourselves. We had to get get a voiceover artist to record the guy's line. And I changed the guy's lines. But but my lines, the, the, the female reporter's lines, I think are exactly the same. <laughs> wow. That's cool. <laughs> that, that See, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, I was guys, like, who knew that everyone would tune into this one news clip? Right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are definitely amazing. Thank you for spending your Saturday night with us. Uh, hey, thank you for spending my birthday. With yeah, me. your birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> thank um, you very much. And we also like to let, you know, uh, whoever promote what you have coming up. Yeah. So, uh, we know you have... Um, intervention premiering do you have anything any other projects in the works i'm so looking forward to that no so intervention is so so the new season of intervention is premiering on on march 15th Uh, i'm working on some other screenplays and some other projects but you know the the way it works in television and film is that television kind of pays the bills and then the, the the film projects that that i do anyway are passion projects meaning you don't necessarily do it for money although the film is doing quite well but nonetheless it's like you know what, what pays your weekly salary and therefore your mortgage and electric bill um, is television shows. So that's intervention on A and E for me. Right. Awesome. Well, and honestly, I feel like uh, that makes you more relevant than a lot of people because of your perspective with with those kind of subject matters. You know, especially making a movie like this with such heavy topics. Um, I feel like. Uh, clearly, you're well informed in all these subject matters. You said you you said you called a consultant. So you probably didn't need to do that, but like I'm just saying, like you definitely know your shit, and it comes through. And and you definitely made an amazing movie, uh, Bailey. You killed it, man. Honestly, it's one of one of our favorite performances. And you know, in the circles that we run, and the people that we talk to, generally podcasters, writers, etc. Uh, your performance is definitely notable. So hats off to you guys. And again, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun, honestly. Like I 
I fucking love you guys. Yeah, Bailey, what do you Aww. have? <laughs> Thank you guys so much. That's so sweet. I, um, you know, <laughs> I have a bunch of new recipes to try out and other fun <laughs> pandemic-related activities. But also, <laughs> um, um, I did, <laughs> if you want. anytime soon? Sorry? Are you going back to Ireland anytime can we, soon? Can we recreate oh that scene? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll I'll go back, recreate it, and send it to you guys. Um, uh, if you ever do. Okay, <laughs> I absolutely will keep that in Baby, mind. We, we should broadcast the real audio behind those video clips. Yes. I know. Yes. I like, I it's need like my it's like your real now. mom saying like, "Honey, is it lunchtime?" <laughs> You're like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> You'll give it to broadcast it just email that shit to me no do like a patreon exclusive only <laughs> oh yes love we love a patreon <laughs> yes um <laughs> but if you do want to watch me do something very not jacob a palate cleanser of jacob um this uh comedy web series that i shot over pandemic with my writing partner is Ooh. hopefully going to start rolling out in mid-march Yes. Um, it's going to be on my Instagram uh, or the Instagram for the web series, which is at Mark and Bailey. Oh, I'm going to awesome. write that down. I just got back on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> I took like a four year hiatus because it was four a years. Huh? Well, it was like a shrine to me and my ex-husband. And I didn't want to like, cause it's Lacey Lou. So I didn't want to like change the, the name of it. What are you guys talking about? I'm still on MySpace. What song do you guys use? <laughs> Mine was Somebody's Baby. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, somebody. so like, no, it even, like, because you could choose like a picture slideshow. <laughs> so, like, there was one of me, like, holding my hands underneath my chin to where I'm, like, looking up at the light. Oh. And, like, I, I made sure that that part came up at the part. With the light shining bright in her eyes. <laughs> That's good editing. That is good yes. editing. Wow. Uh, Even I, at a I, young I, age. I'm uh, fucking stupid. Lacey Wu started to emerge. You're welcome, America. The real wow. Lacey Wu. <laughs> but thank you guys so much. Yes, uh, honestly. I, please stay safe. And uh, we look forward. Please uh, keep us in mind for whatever projects you guys have coming up. We'd love to promote it here back on Cut to the Chase. If you guys are bored during the pandemic, just hit us up on Skype. We'll just. Or uh, if you guys want to talk <laughs> horror movies, any horror movie. Yes. Like if you got a, you know, something that you really want to talk about, hit yeah. us up and we'll fucking record that shit up. We love you guys. Yeah, this was amazing. <laughs> this was fun. Hey, Dan, thanks for taking your birthday night to, to chat with us for like two yes. or three hours. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Happy birthday. No, Happy pod- birthday. <laughs> All right, so for everybody here at Cut to the Chase, peace out. Peace out. Two.
two, three, four. Trapped in a headlock, got more up there than a desktop. Hardware, no sleep, like a sweatshop in a game.